Chapter 1. Viewing Party Archery had, for many years, been a vital part of Jake's life. It had been his escape from work, stress, and intrusive thoughts before the system. After the system, it had been the tool that allowed him to fight and survive, especially in the beginning. So, not getting the skill upgraded to anything higher than common rarity after so long had been a real thorn in his side, an annoyance every time he opened his status menu. It was only made worse by his intuition telling him he was oh so close to the upgrade all the damn time. He just needed that one final push, a final round of truly contemplating his bowmanship. The thing that pushed the skill further turned out to not be a life-and-death battle, but instead an awkward struggle in mid-air as he tried to figure out how the hell to hit the damn birds flying all around him. Advanced archery, common, to expert archery, uncommon. It came the moment he hit his first bird. He felt an odd sense of pride that he quite honestly shouldn't have, considering he had fired over a dozen arrows already. Meanwhile, his bird buddy had ripped apart more than twenty of the attacking flock, while still somehow finding time to send him condescending glances. Blades of wind revolved around the hawk at all times, cutting into anything that came even close. On the other hand, Jake spent more time being badgered by the birds that kept pecking and slapping him with their wings in flybys. After the first few only managed to harm themselves as they chipped their beaks on his scales, they stopped attacking him in melee, and instead fired blasts of mana at him. Not that those blasts did any damage either. It only served to annoy Jake further as he fought to stabilize himself mid-air while at the same time trying to knock yet another arrow. He failed miserably as he could barely stop himself from falling to the ground. But the experience had still somehow pushed his archery skill to the next level. Perhaps it was the ridiculous level of focus he was forced to apply as he had to not only focus on his archery and hitting a flying enemy, but also control his own wings. He didn't feel much difference from the upgrade, likely due to his lack of ability to focus on the simple act of drawing the string and firing an arrow in his current predicament. In the end, he had enough. He opened his eyes wide at the flock of birds. Gaze of the Apex Hunter His eyes shone an intense yellow sheen as the flock of birds all just stopped stopped and fell to the ground one by one. Bloody tears ran down his cheeks as he was forced to shut them, but it had done the job. You have slain Starling Flock Bird, level 14, experience earned. You have slain Starling Flock Bird, level 18, experience earned. Ellipsis. You have slain Starling Flock Bird, level 34, experience earned. Nearly all of them died instantly. Only a few survived due to their higher level, but found themselves frozen and quickly cut apart by the hawk's blades of wind. The entire sky now basked in eerie silence, as Jake said, Billy, are you having a viewing party or what? I got used to your staring, but please don't invite friends over or I'll have to charge you for it. It's distracting as hell. Inside the Order of the Malefic Viper, and the most prestigious of chambers where only the Malefic Viper could enter, just a few moments before Jake began considering charging for a media license, a man lay with his arms behind his head, staring at the ceiling. Three women, barely covered by the thin sheets on the bed, lay around him, trying sheepishly to entice him into another round. Each of them had beautiful long green hair, emerald eyes, and bodies that anyone would call photoshopped if they saw a picture. The man was not a human either, but covered in a thin layer of scales, 
with long black hair and dark green eyes that pierced the soul. The malefic viper hadn't had a round of nightly activity for eras, and from the lady's reactions he hadn't lost his touch quite yet. His non-deadly kind of touch. He said that you met one of our descendants not long ago, one of the women asked, as she twirled her finger on his chest. The scales didn't bother her in the slightest. Quite the opposite, in fact. Yeah, Viridia, he answered. Current hall, mister of the only hall, left so the leader of the mortal part of the order. So whose is she? One of the other women asked. She can't be mine. I have never been with anyone but my lord, the third one stated proudly. Oh, what about that gallant guy we met back in Elwood? The first woman smiled. You spent a few millennia in his little treehouse, if I recall. That was so long ago, and the kids I had then weren't any good to begin with. Ladies, please, the viper interrupted. It doesn't matter now, does it? Besides, she is quite the fine young lass, so there is nothing to be embarrassed about. She could be mine, then, the third one said, making a complete 180, one that earned only a sigh from her two sisters. The three women were known as the ladies of the Verdant Lagoon. The Viper had first met them when they were only C-tier, and they had joined his order. It had been another time, during the Third Era, back when his order was known and feared throughout the multiverse. As sisters, they all had immense talent, and had soared through the ranks. Shortly before attaining D-tier, he'd taken all three of them as his women, and they'd had quite the passionate time together. Thinking about it, he hadn't been with them since he met her during the Fourth Era. Needless to say, all three of them had eventually attained godhood. It was quite rare for a family to all ascend like that, but the sisters had always shared a special bond. They'd fought together, had skills that were dependent on each other, and even possessed records that were tied together. Even Eversmile had found their situation interesting enough to study at one point. They had forsaken everything that was individuality. Even their names had been given up to bring them closer. The three of them were now simply known as the Sisters of the Verdant Lagoon, the First Sister, Second, and so on. Does this mean that you plan to call on all the Hidden Ones? The First Sister asked, after a bit of silence. Must have walked their own paths by now, the Viper answered with a sigh, as he recalled the past. I never bound them in any way, and they have no obligation to the Order any longer. Well, I cannot speak for all others, my lord. I can say that us sisters were more than elated when we heard of your return. Even more so when you reached out. You forbade us from coming to you, but I believe that most, if not all, would be more than happy to return to your side. I know, he said, sighing, but it is not time yet anyway. Just know that we are all eager to serve once more, she reiterated, letting silence reclaim the room for a while. The viper was staring at the ceiling again, his gaze piercing the void into the planet known as Earth, his favorite pastime these days. However, he tried not to overdo it. Besides, there were many other characters in the multiverse he enjoyed observing. As gods experienced with clairvoyance and far-seeing, the sisters were aware of their lord's actions that he was peering at Earth. As to whom he was mainly observing, it was an easy guess. They found it peculiar and unusual for a god, much less a primordial, to care so much about mortal affairs. 
What makes that mortal human so special? The second sister asked, finally unable to hold herself back. His name is Jake, the viper answered. He's a friend. A friend? she asked, before she began laughing. What a novel concept. It sounds like an interesting game. Turning to her, the viper stared into her eyes, not a hint of jest in them. I am serious. But why? the third sister asked, she too unable to hold her tongue. To invest so much of your time and effort into a mortal that could fall at any moment is just wasteful. Sighing, the viper turned to all the sisters. Tell me, what am I to you? My lord, a supreme existence, the one above all in my heart. The answers came simultaneously, only the last one standing out a bit. Yet they all had one thing in common. And there you have it. To you three I stand above you. I am your superior. Is that not only natural? the first sister asked, a bit confused. It is, the viper agreed. That was how the multiverse worked, after all. Power was what dictated everything. Respect was automatically earned simply by being powerful. It wasn't just a norm born out of habits or a social structure that had been adopted. It was natural law. A superior being suppressed those below them without even trying. One had to consciously hold back their aura to avoid making those of lower rank feel an innate compulsion to submit. Even if someone could resist the compulsion, they would still be instilled with a sense of inferiority. As a primordial, the viper was positioned at the apex of the multiverse. The beings he didn't naturally suppress in the multiverse were few and far between. For him to find someone he both didn't suppress and got along with was even harder, considering his eccentric personality. Yet a mortal had waltzed into his realm, not getting his shit about his aura or the natural suppression he should feel. Instead, the human had looked upon him like he was an absolute idiot when he, a mighty god, had tried to show off. It was a novel experience. He had even dared to give advice to a god. An F-grade was talking to a god as an equal. It was unheard of. It wasn't just a matter of pride or personality that allowed one to stand unfazed before a god as a mortal, much less F-grade before primordial. The viper knew it had to be the peculiar bloodline Jake possessed that allowed him to do so. Of course, the viper wouldn't have bothered as much if it was indeed just the bloodline making him stand out. Jake wasn't the first mortal he had met with the power to stand tall before gods. But he was the first to act like he was just meeting some random person on the subway. That he also turned out to possess monstrous potential was what sealed the deal for him. While the disparity between the two was nearly as wide as it could feasibly be in the multiverse, it didn't discourage the viper at all. I still don't get it, the second sister said, bringing the viper's mind back to reality. And you don't have to. Just know that Jake sees me as an equal, and I see him in turn as an equal. He knew it was useless to try and explain it. It was a concept that didn't make any sense to natives of the multiverse, after all. Maybe something only those who had grown up in a world without levels and skills could understand. Immortality was a long time, and to a god, the life of a mortal, even an S-grade mortal, seemed infinitely short. Perhaps it was a way to protect themselves. 
but barely any gods had any serious relationships with anyone that weren't gods. Sometimes it was done with an estrade near the peak if a god believed they would ascend, but even that was rare. The sisters tried asking a bit more, but in the end gave up, partly because they didn't get it at all, and partly because they feared angering the primordial by being too pesky. For him to share a bed with them was already a massive victory in their minds, and they didn't want to spoil the mood. But the third sister did give one last try after a while. Can we see this mortal? I am very interested to know more. Yeah, sure, the malefic viper said. He materialized a screen in the air showing what he'd looked at earlier. A human with wings flew through the air with a bird that sometimes flew up and pecked him on his forehead. They appeared to be fighting some larger birds. None of the sisters cared much for the scuffle between E-grades, but still watched intently to try and comprehend what made the mortal so extraordinary. The fight ended rather quickly, the larger birds clearly being outmatched. The only interesting thing was the snickering of the viper and the human's quite frankly horrendous flying skills. He full-on laughed when even the bird accosted him. To the three female gods it was boring to watch until the fight was truly finished by taking down a flock of smaller birds with some soul attack skill, and the human did something they didn't expect. He looked straight up, straight into the void where the viper and three of them peered through, staring directly into their eyes. Billy, are you having a viewing party or what? the mortal said into thin air before rubbing off the blood that was coming out of his eyes. I got used to your staring, but please don't invite friends over, or I'll have to charge you for it. It's distracting as hell. The four gods lying on the bed were the only ones to hear him, except for the bird, which appeared to only lower its opinion of him due to his apparent insanity. Jake's casual rebuttal made the three sisters open their eyes wide. Now they were full of even more questions than before. How did he detect us? How dare he speak the Maleficent's name like that? Those eyes! The viper could only smile, feeling a weird sense of satisfaction at the three dumbstruck gods. Felt good not to be the only one surprised by Jake's nonsensical abilities. Well, there you have it, he said, dispersing the screen once more. As to how he knows I'm watching, Dick, if I know, he just does and I find it only adds to the enjoyment. He chose to categorically ignore the comments on etiquette and whatnot. He didn't care. He also knew that any punishment short of death would be meaningless, as she was a bit of a masochist, if he had to say so himself. Not that he found the trait detrimental in bed. But he had one more thing to add. Oh, by the way, don't mention anything about him to anyone, all right? The words were formed as a request, but the sisters were fully aware it wasn't. Chapter 2 Going Up Chugging a health potion, Jake opened his eyes once more and wiped the blood away. He was currently flapping his wings, trying to keep himself aloft, as he saw the hawk gaze back at him like he was an idiot for talking to thin air. But its look was now not only a ridicule, it contained a hint of fear and respect, which gave him a silly sense of satisfaction for one-upping a freaking bird. Billy being a peeping Tom was something he honestly didn't even notice anymore. Maybe the tutorial, where many gods had observed him all the time, had desensitized him, 
but he did notice when three new observers suddenly joined, seeing as nobody except Billy had looked at him since returning to Earth. How exactly he knew? Well, it was just his intuition. He took a quick glance at his notifications and saw that he had killed 641 birds with his gaze. This was the first time he'd used it with full power and the intent to kill and not immobilize. The effect was way above his expectations. Not a single bird below E-grade survived, and even the weaker ones in E-grade died instantly. Jake had chosen the skill for its ability to immobilize his foes, to have a skill that made use of his high perception. But today his eyes were opened to exactly how potent the skill was. It wasn't just its ability to kill, but how it did it. Not a single one of the dead birds had any wounds. Their bodies were completely unharmed. Instead, their souls had been completely and utterly shattered by the gaze. The attack had been instantaneous and unavoidable. As long as they were within his line of sight and he intended to hit them, they would be affected. The backlash he suffered was more due to his own inexperience with the skill than the skill itself. He had pushed more power into it than he could handle, which caused his eyes to suffer damage, but it was nothing a healing potion couldn't solve in seconds. Flying down, he managed not to screw up the landing entirely, as he only took a few stumbling steps. The hawk followed him, perching itself on a tree nearby. Jake could feel how tired it was as it rested its eyes for a moment. Jake also sat down on the ground and entered meditation. The first thing he did was check the notifications. The birds he had killed with his gaze had all been between level 10 and 37. Sadly, the experience gained wasn't really worth much due to the significant level disparity. Next, he checked the upgraded skill. Advanced archery, common. An archer's best friend is the bow in his hand and the arrow in his foe's heart. You have shown improved proficiency with a bow, making the weapon even more familiar to you adds a minor bonus to the effect of agility and strength when using a ranged weapon. Upgraded to Expert Archery, Uncommon. An archer's best friend is the bow in his hand and the arrow in his foe's heart. You have proven yourself an expert with your chosen weapon and are fast approaching the level of mastering your craft. Adds a small bonus to the effect of agility and strength when using a ranged weapon. It wasn't fascinating either, despite how much he had anticipated it. It was a simple and boring skill that just made his archery slightly better. It didn't give him any knowledge of any kind. It was more just a confirmation that he had reached a level of proficiency, unlike his basic twin fang style, which gave him limited knowledge and guidance for melee combat. He did remember that Casper had told him how the basic archery skill gave him knowledge of using a bow upon first entering the tutorial. Knowledge Jake, of course, already had. Closing down his menus once more, he instead focused on recovering his dwindling stamina pool. He and the hawk had been flying around for a few hours before the flock attacked them. It had already been more than half an hour into the fight before Jake decided to end it with gaze of the apex hunter. He and his new bird friend had truly bonded over this past day, and when he said bonded, he meant that his hatred had slowly been replaced by gratitude, while the bird was still condescendingly teaching him how to use his wings properly. Yet he had a feeling the bird would be a bit nicer after today. Despite its level being higher than his, he believed that he had proven himself stronger. Because he was. While the hawk was quite strong, even for its level, it didn't make Jake feel threatened at all. It was focused on speed and wind magic. 
Its attacks were mainly composed of quick and powerful blows that aimed to take the opponent by surprise. Meanwhile, Jake had his danger sense and, if necessary, moment of the primal hunter, which would warn him of any sneak attack well ahead of time. At the same time, he could use gaze to freeze it and land a blow. The hawk had been hit by a few blasts from the flock before, making him aware of how feeble the bird actually was. To sum it up, the hawk was a glass cannon, incredible speed and damage, but low toughness and vitality. If he had to guess its stats, he would say nearly all of it was mainly in intelligence and agility, with a respectable amount in wisdom and strength. Not that he had any intentions of fighting the hawk. They were buddies, and from the bird's actions, it clearly didn't intend on fighting him either. After meditating for an hour, he opened his eyes once more. With the cool-down for potions over, he took two stamina potions out and downed one of them. The hawk saw him do this, as it gave him a knowing glance. With a slight chuckle, he tossed the stamina potion up in the air, only for it to be swept up in a gust of wind, landing in the talons of the hawk. He spread his wings once more as they, in concert, took to the air. They flew around for a few hours, bumping into several wayward birds that quickly met their end through the blades of wind. Soon the hawk began flying back towards wherever it had left to the day before, and like the day before, it stopped Jake's attempt to follow. So Jake did as last time and landed once more. He didn't do any alchemy this time, but instead began testing out his upgraded archery skill. There was not a lot to test, but he wanted a better idea of how effective the increase in attributes actually was. It didn't take him long to discover the faint improvements. The string was slightly more comfortable to pull, the arrow flew slightly faster, and carried an almost negligible amount more power. It was small, nearly to the point of being unnoticeable, but any bonus was a welcome one. After firing off a few more arrows to get a better feel for it, he thought about what to do next. It was either alchemy or a bit of solo flying practice. His decision, in the end, landed on flying practice, the kind he didn't practice with the bird. Flying up a little, he tried his best to hover, to flap his wings and have the rest of his body remain as stable as possible. He could already imagine how effective he would be if he became able to actively fight with his bow while flying at the same time. But that was far off, as he couldn't even correctly hover in the air yet, his flying practice was something that would simply take time and effort. It wasn't something that should be rushed. It was like a human child, in this case an adult, learning to walk. Despite it being such a simple thing for any regular, non-disabled adult, that didn't mean it was entirely instinctual. It wasn't like breathing, making your heart pump. It took conscious effort and trained motor controls, and people who had to learn to walk later in life or go through retraining took time to do so. The skill itself didn't give him any hint or help with flying, so he was indeed a newborn bird in the sky. His only real help was his monstrous stats, which allowed for his suboptimal movements to let him fly, no matter how sillily or horribly he did so. By the end of the day, when the hawk returned, he still hadn't learned to hover, but it was getting better by the hour. The two took to the air, and this time they flew straight up, higher than Jake had ever been before. Previously, they had never gone higher than a few kilometers. Jake had quickly learned that the skies had their own separate ecosystem from the ground below. Different flying creatures dominated above. The higher one went, the stronger they were. Below five kilometers, one barely encountered anything in E-grade. 
The flock they ran into earlier had been an incredible outlier. They were like locusts scouring the low skies, killing any other bird or flying creature on their way. Above a couple more kilometers, which was the threshold the two of them had just passed, one began running into the occasional stronger monster. But the hawk didn't show any intention of stopping or even slowing down. They passed by a few low-hanging clouds, the hawk purposefully avoiding them. Jake peered into one of them and understood why. Within were several unnatural movements. He couldn't quite discern what they were, a natural phenomenon or perhaps a monster. Either way, he decided to rely on the hawk's expertise and avoid the clouds for now. Monsters of many kinds appeared in his vision as they continued. Many different types of birds, even ones he had never seen anything like before. One looked like a flamingo, but had two sets of wings. Another was just a big, balloon-like bird that looked like it quite honestly didn't belong up there. None of them had a level above fifty, making Jake and the hawk ignore them entirely. But as they kept flying further and further up, that started to change fast. At eight and a half kilometers, they encountered a not-so-friendly giant wasp that tried to sting Jake. This resulted in Jake just catching the stinger and, with his hands on the thing, spreading death through it with touch of the malefic viper. It had only been level sixty-one, so Jake honestly didn't know where it had gotten the guts to attack him from. At ten kilometers, they had to avoid a brawl between two giant flocks of birds. Thousands of birds in each flock were ripping into each other. They were relatively weak individually, most still not in E-grade yet, but their sheer sizes made up for it. Jake felt tempted just to use gaze of the apex hunter, but decided against it pretty quickly. It was pointless to do, and he wasn't keen on the idea of committing bird genocide for no reason. This kept up as they flew upwards. The hawk had clearly been up here many times before, as it swiftly dismembered any bird that attacked it, while avoiding flocks and stronger-looking monsters. Jake felt more like a tag-along, but had no complaints. He was blown back by the sights he saw. It was, indeed, an entirely new world up there. But he didn't wonder why it was like this. The hawk had clearly shown a need to land once in a while, to rest. While he didn't doubt that some monsters could rest while remaining in the air, he seriously doubted any of the more common-looking birds could. At fifteen kilometers, they encountered their first challenge, the word challenge being used relatively lightly. It was a small group of three hulking birds. They looked like vultures that had gone to the gym six days a week, never forgetting wing or talon day, all of them level eighty-seven. It was a bit novel to encounter such strength-focused birds. They attacked the pair, with one of them going for Jake and the two others the hawk. The hawk danced around them effortlessly as the wind cut into them while Jake met the brood in melee. Luckily for him, it didn't even try to dodge, but just smashed into him, trying to pierce him with its sharp talons. He summoned his sword and dagger, blocking the foot with a sword as he plunged the dagger into the leg of the vulture. They kept tussling for a while before Jake managed to get in a few good blows to its stomach and lower body. The wounds didn't look lethal, but they sure as heck were. The dagger was releasing its innate venom with every stab, only further amplified by Jake coating the blade with his blood. The hawk had managed to finish off one of its vultures when Jake's failed to keep itself airborne. It began falling to the ground as he flew over and helped the hawk finish off the last vulture. The one he had been fighting succumbed halfway through the brawl to his poison, dying before even hitting the ground. It had been a relatively easy and fast fight, 
which was why he was surprised when the message popped up with the death of the last vulture. Ding! Class Ambitious Hunter has reached level 84. Stat points allocated, plus 4 free points. Ding! Race Human, E, has reached level 77. Stat points allocated, plus 5 free points. It was his first level in his class since returning to Earth, and he had a feeling that the sky would be the source of a lot more levels and unique experiences. Of course, my lord, the first sister quickly said, agreeing to the viper forbidding them from speaking of the mortal. Her two sisters were nodding along fervently. All is good, then. Now on to official business. The malefic viper got up off the bed while summoning a robe. The women followed his lead, as they too conjured a dress each. My order has turned to shit in my absence. I don't blame anyone but myself for this. I wallowed in self-pity for long enough. He sighed and continued. I plan on getting shit in order. With only a single hall right now, we are confined to only a small part of this universe. I fear that my name has begun to be forgotten. Time to change that. What are you planning, my lord? The second sister asked, excitement in her voice. I don't care for expansion much. Faith is not a big part of my path anyhow, and I couldn't give lists of shit about how many faithful believers I have. No, I want to consolidate our power in this part of the universe first. Make it like the good old days. Then we can expand from there. You mean, the third sister said, stars in her eyes. Exactly. Send out warnings to every single faction and deity within this sector. Give them a week to either pack up and get the fuck out, or to come here and swear allegiance. Make my word echo through the multiverse, so all know my message. Those that don't listen, well, how? The ancient primordial flashed a big smile. A show of force has never done any harm either. Additionally, I want you three to formally return to the Order once more. Having only Snappy and I as known gods is a bit too little. I want each of you to take a leadership position to help get this entire organization back on track. Once the Hall Master as well as the branch leaders return from Nevermore, I want one of you to take charge and guide her and lead the Order. She is your descendant, so that point should be easy enough. Another one of you takes charge of the academy, while the last takes care of managing the governed area of the Order and assisting me in taking any newly conquered land under our wing. You decide between yourselves who does what. Any objections? We are more than willing to serve, the First Sister said, talking for all three of them. Good. I already informed Snappy to bring back the other leaders, so you may as well begin preparing now. He nodded at the three women. Looking at the messy bed, however, he added, Though I guess we do have a bit of time. A request none of them had to hear twice. A few hours and plenty of exercise later, the viper walked out of the chamber, leaving the three women resting in the bed. He felt quite proud, if he had to say so himself. 
Tiring out guards to the point of exhaustion was no easy feat. Teleporting, he stepped into a giant laboratory with only a single old man in it. He was currently tending to a giant tree that appeared to be wholly rotten. It gave out an overpowering amount of life affinity mana. Disleaf, my dear disciple, the viper said with a big smile, the old man not reacting at all. Come on, old pal, don't be mad. The ignoring continued, so he tried something else. My, quite the tree you have made here, your own creation, I presume. Very impressive. This time he got a reaction. A tree, someone, especially my so-called master, would be fully aware of if he didn't keep breaking his promises actually to do some, any, alchemy with me. Look, I know I fucked up, but I just had too much to deal with. Like sleeping with those witches, Duskleaf sneered, cutting him off. Clearly still mad. Or staring at Jake creepily. Or have you found a new deplorable hobby? Okay, okay, jeez. I even came here with something I thought you would want to hear, the viper muttered. We are doing an experiment, Duskleaf beamed, all his anger momentarily forgotten. No, not that, the viper said, instantly deflating Duskleaf. But it is still a good suggestion. I plan on doing a bit of restructuring and improvements around here, and I want you to come out of hiding and take up a more official position in the Order. How can that in any way be construed as good for me? Duskleaf sighed. Listen, I want you to take the position as principal of the Academy. One of the witches will help you do all the boring stuff. I just want you to have the title. The only work I will ask of you to do is to be involved in the next enrollment of alchemy students in a few years. I still don't get it, the old alchemist said, clearly not keen on the idea. Why the heck would I want to be involved in enrollment, of all things? I think a certain student I plan on convincing to join will be of particular interest to you. The malefic viper smiled deeply. Let me guess, you haven't even asked Jake yet. I am sure he is one hundred percent on board. Who doesn't like having an extra school arc in their lives? Chapter 3 a cloudy forecast. Jake would never claim to have in-depth knowledge of the happenings in the sky. He would never claim to be a meteorologist or a weather forecaster. While he had managed to get decent grades in physics and chemistry, he for sure wasn't an expert. But despite his lacking knowledge, he was pretty sure that clouds weren't supposed to have trees growing on them. About as sure as that one shouldn't be able to walk on said clouds. That was precisely why his current situation was a bit perplexing. He was standing on a cloud, looking out into the vast sky. Behind him sat the hawk, perched on a branch from an ivory tree that grew on the cloud. Its leaves were a light blue, with dark blue veins running through every part of the trunk. The cloud wasn't even very big. It only had that single tree on it, and it wasn't even five meters across. Jake knelt down, 
and scooped up a part of the cloud into his palm. It felt fluffy, not quite like wool, but more like a soft water balloon. Letting go of the piece of a cloud, it just began drifting through the air, now its own separate mini-cloud, which was likely the same as what had spawned the current cloud they were on. The two of them had flown up for quite a bit until they reached around twenty-five kilometers high. If Earth were the same as before the system, they would have well and truly entered the stratosphere by now. Heck, commercial planes didn't fly above twelve kilometers, less than half of where they were now. And yet the air didn't even feel any thinner. The mana density was the same as closer to the ground, too. The only difference was a shift in the affinities. Wind affinity was now far more prevalent, with Earth affinity, on the other hand, severely lacking. Looking further above, he only saw the endless sky expand even further. Exactly how far one could travel before reaching space, or at least just the outer parts of the atmosphere, was a mystery. But back to the equally mysterious cloud. As Jake had noted earlier, he believed it to have once been a part of a much greater cloud. His belief in that theory stemmed from the absolutely massive cloud floating just a few hundred meters below him, one made of the same tangible type of cloud. And when he said massive, he truly meant massive. It was too big for him to see where it began and where it ended. He reckoned it was the size of an entire country from pre-system Earth, just hanging up there in the sky, far above where his so-called city was located. Well, not directly above, a hundred or so kilometers north and twenty-five up, but, hey, relatively close. Sadly, the area affected by the pylon barely extended upwards, even if it was directly above, only a couple hundred meters at most, even now. This meant that even if the pylon began extending upwards, it would be a very long time before he was able to claim a sky city, if ever, though he was pretty sure the cloud was moving slightly, so maybe it would just float away. Speaking of the pylon, he could still feel its location, which was honestly quite lucky, as without it he was pretty lost. He had just followed the hawk as they flew, and with his sense of direction, getting back without a beacon such as the pylon would prove more than a little difficult, as in, he would likely go in the direct opposite direction and never return. He had only been gone for a few days, and that Hank guy had said it would take a week to make the house, so he didn't plan on returning for that time at a minimum, which gave him plenty of time to explore the enormous cloud continent in front of him, something the hawk was clearly on board with. In fact, Jake was pretty sure it was the reason it had brought him here to begin with, maybe because it wanted a companion for some added safety, or just because it wanted to continue leveling itself. Either way, after a brief break and a potion each, they took to the sky once more. Flying down to the giant continent floating below, Jake felt an almost childlike excitement at the thought of exploring a freaking sky island made of clouds. It spoke to an adolescent part of him that wanted adventure. So far, the things he had encountered in this new world were rather unimpressive from a spectacle standpoint. It was caves, giant forests, plains, and so on. But a giant cloud? Now that's something. The entire cloud was extremely thick, too. The hawk and human had flown up parallel to a wall of cloud as they ascended. It had to be at least three or four hundred meters thick, but it was nothing compared to the sight that met him when he got above the edge of the cloud. Before Jake was the sprawling world that lay upon the cloud. Countless ivory trees were scattered about, with a giant tree far off in the distance, 
a giant tree that he could only see because of the bright flashes it gave off every few seconds as it was currently nighttime. Like a lightning conductor, it was struck by bursts of electricity from all other trees on the island, acting as the epicenter of the entire continent. It made Jake believe that these trees were the whole reason the clouds were even able to be stepped on in the first place. After the massive tree and lightning, the next thing that struck him was the many sources of movement he saw. Countless birds flew above the island, which wasn't a surprise at all. What was surprising was the other type of creature. On the cloud below walked several figures, vaguely humanoid, but clearly not. They were entirely white and looked to be part of the cloud continent itself, but a quick identify proved they weren't. Cloud Elemental, Level 56 It was his first encounter with an elemental. He knew of their existence from books he had read on alchemy and from the description of his bow. Concerning alchemy, it had mainly discussed how elementals were great sources of ingredients for many kinds of alchemical creations. Once slain, an elemental would always turn into a small orb of its element. A cloud elemental, as an example, would drop a cloud orb. The orb would contain a highly concentrated amount of cloud affinity mana, and was thus highly suitable as an ingredient. Jake didn't have any need for it, however, mainly because he didn't know any recipes that required orbs. Secondly, because his alchemy branch didn't really use those sorts of items often, he doubted it would even be instrumental in the future. Pure forms of a type of mana like that would most often be found in beneficial pills, flasks, or elixirs, not poisons. But, of course, that wasn't the only reason to hunt them. Experience was a universal gain for any being with levels, after all. Something the birds were fully aware of. The cloud elemental Jake had just identified was ambushed by a group of five diving birds. In its semi-intangible form, it ignored the purely physical attacks, but took damage from magic. In less than a minute, it dispersed and turned into a small, fingernail-sized white orb. One of the birds, the largest one, ate it without any hesitation. Then the five of them flew upwards once more. As he was observing this, he saw several other similar occurrences all around the island. Most ended with dead cloud elementals, but sometimes they turned it around on the birds, enveloping them and killing them via consumption instead. Despite the many deaths, it didn't appear to affect the population of the elementals, however. As Jake saw them die, he saw just as many emerge from the island below, almost as though climbing out of the ground and into being, born from the vast cloud that was the island itself. He was thrown out of his thoughts by a blast of wind from the hawk behind him. It tired of his useless gawking. He understood what it wanted, and he couldn't agree more. While observing the many birds hunt was entertaining in its own right, nothing was better than doing it yourself. Sweeping down, the two of them split up slightly as they each went for a target. The hawk was going for another bird at level 93, while Jake aimed for an elemental larger than nearly all the others he saw one that had just killed the group of birds overconfident in their ability to face it. Cloud Elemental, level 95. Jake smiled to himself as he landed on the cloud in front of it. He wasn't stupid enough to try and fight while flying. Jake knew his own limitations. On the ground, he was far more potent and far more comfortable. The Elemental towered over him, being nearly ten meters tall. It looked vaguely human, but was way too bulky for it to be so. Its two arms were as thick as its torso, and it didn't have any legs, only a swirling mass of clouds that floated slightly upon the island below. 
Looking upon it, he habitually used Mark of the Ambitious Hunter, took out his bow, and channeled and fired off an infused power shot without any hesitation. The elemental that was just floating there didn't even react before the arrow reached it. An arrow that pierced straight through it, leaving a big gaping hole. Wait, he thought, as the elemental now shifted its focus to him. His mark informed him that the attack had done barely any damage. Only a few remnants of mana had invaded the body of the elemental and actually harmed it. It slowly extended its hand and fired a compressed beam of steam towards him without making any sound. Its movements were slow, but the beam was more powerful than he'd anticipated. It kicked up smoke as the cloud dispersed upon being hit, forcing Jake back. It gradually hovered towards him and continued firing out a constant stream of steam. Jake used his one-step mile to create some distance as he tried firing a splitting arrow towards the elemental. He hoped the extra arrows from the skill counted as magical or something like that. Once more, they disappointingly passed through the cloud elemental. No damage at all. He tried a few more times, and even fired off an arrow coated in his blood in the hope of it having any effect. Unsurprisingly, poison didn't work on a being made out of literal clouds, seeing as it had no blood, or flesh, or really a physical body to speak of. By now, he was beginning to recognize that he might have a minor hole in his repertoire's skills. He was good at killing things, mainly due to his incredibly useful power shot and poisons, both of which proved useless against the elemental. Then he thought he was brilliant, as he used one of the functions of wings he hadn't tried before. He burned the blood within the wings, allowing a poisonous mist to seep out. He smiled as he flapped his wings and sent the cloud of deadly mist towards the elemental. Eat this! The cloud of mist floated towards the elemental, and then just swirled around it and slowly dispersed. Since a constant current of air seemed to flow around the elemental at all times, his mist didn't even make contact. Well, shit. He also seriously doubted that swinging at it with his sword and dagger would do much good. Maybe descending Dark Fang would do damage, but how many would it take? From what he'd seen of the birds, they mainly used blasts of wind and pure mana to disperse and kill the elementals. Wind magic appeared especially useful. The problem was that Jake didn't have a single magical attack. The closest thing he had was touch of the malefic viper when it came to offensive magic. One could count his gaze of the apex hunter as a magical attack, but its function was to immobilize against an opponent of his own level, not to deal damage. On the other hand, the elemental didn't have a good way to attack him, either. Its steam didn't hit, and its movements were way too slow to catch up to him. It was a stalemate where neither side could get any ground. But Jake was reluctant just to give up. He knew mana-based attacks worked, so wouldn't he just have to attack it with that? Spreading out his hands, mana began accumulating in them, showing off his many hours of mana practice. This time he didn't bother to form strings, though. He simply gathered small orbs of pure mana. Like back in the Forgotten Sewer, when he'd been exploring the Dark Affinity, the mana in his hands began changing from a transparent shimmer to two black orbs. The process took a few seconds, but it was far faster than it had been back then. He threw the two bolts of mana at the elemental with hope in his eyes. While it wasn't a skill, he had still packed a few hundred points of mana within each bolt. The two bolts hit the cloud elemental straight on and sank into its body. Jake felt the mana instantly dissipate as it spread throughout the body of the elemental. Then, then it... disappeared. 
or more accurately, it was suppressed by the elemental. Well, that was a bummer, he thought, disappointed. He could tell that it had done some damage, but he was pretty damn sure that he would run out of mana before it died. He needed something else. The next few minutes were spent with Jake condensing bowls of mana of different forms to attempt to kill it. He tried to condense the mana, shape it, and even test if he could somehow make it into another affinity, like Earth. He failed in all these attempts, and even when he succeeded, the resulting attack did nothing to the elemental. In the end, he tried to move in close and attempt touch of the malefic viper. He wasn't keen on it, as he had seen the fate of a bird being devoured by the cloud, but felt like he had no other choice. It was either that or retreating. Carefully approaching the elemental, he dodged the blasts of steam as he neared its lower body. It floated about half a meter above the cloud island, meaning he could only touch its lower section without flying. But just as he was about to reach it, it smashed both its massive arms down towards him. He managed to dodge, but the attack didn't end there. An explosion of steam and mist pushed him back tens of meters while scalding his skin slightly. With the giant elemental's arms still lowered, he took a step forward and appeared right in front of it once more. His hand was glowing a dark green sheen as he plunged it into the cloud elemental's arm. Instantly, he felt like he had just put his hand into boiling water, and he quickly covered his entire body in scales. It helped immensely, but it still hurt. At the same time, the elemental churned as parts of its arm began turning greenish. Jake barely managed to smile triumphantly before the elemental countered him once more. Parts of its arm that had begun turning color exploded right into him as he stood with his hand inside the elemental. Jake found himself blasted backward, his entire upper body and arms scalded from the hot steam. He flew back nearly 500 meters before he hit the ground rolling. The scales had blocked most of the blow, but it had still managed to do immense damage to him. The hand and lower arm that had been inside the elemental especially were a mess. Jake's hand was entirely broken, with the skin and flesh melted, more bone than hand remaining. The rest of his lower arm not much better. By now, he had to admit that he was countered. He didn't know what to do. Which was the moment a giant blade of wind cut into the cloud elemental. The hawk landed between Jake, who was still getting up, and the elemental slowly trudging towards him. In the fight, he had nearly forgotten. He wasn't alone. Chapter 4 Mana Bolt Jake sat on a small cloud away from the large continent. The bird perched in a tree beside him. He was breathing heavily still from his nearly empty pool of mana and low stamina. Even his health was only at around half. The cloud elemental was far harder to deal with than he had predicted. Luckily, the hawk had done wonders against it. Its blades of wind had cut off parts of the cloud elemental, with another blast of wind dispersing the cut-off part into nothing. Even then, it had taken the two of them nearly half an hour before the elemental became unable to regenerate parts of its body and finally died, were dispersed, or whatever elementals did. Jake felt pretty damn fucking useless after the long fight. All he could really do was toss weak bolts of dark mana at the elemental to distract it while dodging its blows. If the elemental hadn't been so stupid as to focus on him over the hawk, he wasn't even sure they would have won. He had thrown a mana potion to the hawk during the fight, so he had made some kind of contribution. The hawk didn't even seem very condescending after the battle. 
may be surprised at Jake's many means to stay alive. It made him reflect on the massive skill disparity between beasts and humans once more. Even the dungeon bosses he'd fought never had more than a handful of skills he was aware of. Humans, on the other hand, had so many. Granted, many skills of beasts were never discovered, so maybe beasts just had a lot more passive skills or skills that buffed other parts of them. Or perhaps they just had fewer skills and more stats. Maybe they were slightly inferior in the skill department by the system's design. Who could say? Probably Philly. Gotta ask him next time. Or maybe he could just ask out loud, and the scaly god would hear him. He had been spying on him at random times these days, after all. At least he had been nice enough not to have any more viewing parties. Hawkey, let's just stick to hunting birds and leave those damn clouds alone for now, yeah? he asked, looking up at the bird. He was pretty sure it understood him, as it blinked its eyes a few times in a row in response. At least he believed it understood, as it was clearly brilliant. The only question was if it understood him due to its intelligence, or because the translation skill he'd gotten worked with birds, though he doubted it, as he had yet to hear anything speak that wasn't humanoid. As for why he called it Hawky, well, he just got tired of thinking of it as the Hawk, and when he occasionally talked to it, he wanted to give it some kind of name. Granted, Hawky was a shitty name, but he had never claimed to be good at naming things. Closing his eyes while sitting and resting on the cloud, he entered meditation. But this time he didn't focus on pure recovery or summon his usual strings of mana. Instead, he cupped his hands in front of him. Despite his plan to avoid the elementals, it didn't mean that he was satisfied with the situation. He wanted to create a tool to fight them. He had sagacity of the malefic viper, which helped him. He had been practicing controlling and using mana continuously ever since he got the ability to sense it. Yet he found himself so disappointingly useless when he had to use it in combat. Looking back, he was beginning to regret not just picking up the Dark Bolt skill at some point. Maybe instead of the still useless Hunter's tracking skill. Not because of the Dark Bolt itself, but because of what he could potentially learn from it. Something was missing from his mana attacks. He knew that his spells had to be more powerful even without his skill being used. He saw the many birds fire off basic-looking bolts of mana to kill the elementals, and he, for the life of him, didn't understand what separated his from theirs. The amount of mana packed within the bolts wasn't the issue. Even when Jake used more, it barely did anything. When he made the mana into dark affinity, it at least did something, if still incredibly ineffective. Though he did have one way of attacking with pure mana. The enchantment on his gloves fired off a melee blast of mana, but even that was useless with his current predicament. What he did to use that was just to pour mana into the gloves, and it would fire out the mana in a blast of kinetic energy. Touch of the Malefic Viper didn't serve to help him either. He understood how that skill worked, and it was clearly fundamentally different. It didn't use mana to attack, but to fuel the poison it released upon touch. He did briefly consider if he could somehow pour the effects of Touch of the Malefic Viper into a ball of mana and throw it, which is when he learned how futile that thought was. Unless the skill changed entirely, that would never work. The skill required Touch, as the name suggested, for a connection to form between the two entities involved, him, the poisoner, and his target, the poison. Not that he knew how to, in any way, replicate the effects of the skill without actually using it, he was fully aware of how far above his understanding it was, being a part of the Malefic Viper's legacy and all. 
Had he gone wrong in his entire approach to manipulating mana? So far, he had focused on making those strings, practiced lifting stones and other objects through mana, and otherwise just using it to move things or attach himself to something. He remembered how he had attached himself to a ceiling during the Forgotten Sewers dungeon, how he could cover his feet in mana to walk on water. He was proud of those achievements, but was his philosophy behind doing so flawed in some conceptual way? Doubt only kept spreading in his mind as he sat in meditation. The effect of increased concentration from the skill upgrade was doing as much harm as good. If he was wrong in his approach to using mana, what about his way of using stamina? His alchemy? Was there anything he could be genuinely sure of? He knew that even when the system gave a skill, it didn't necessarily mean one was on the right track. When he'd failed and exploded his own arm by overloading it with stamina, he'd been rewarded with a skill choice, one that was just terrible. He quickly tried to quench his doubt concerning alchemy first. Gods had observed him doing it, and he had gotten a strong profession upgrade. He could make powerful potions and had acquired so many powerful skills. Even if his path in that regard was suboptimal, it was still good enough. Borrowing from the confidence in his alchemy, he thought about all the methods in which he used mana. Brewing potions and concocting poisons were reliant on the skills associated with those actions. He wasn't even sure if it was possible to do either without the skills. If it was, that too was way beyond his pay grade. Touch of the Malefic Viper he had already gone over. Sagacity of the Malefic Viper helped him understand some things better, but it didn't come with any knowledge or sudden enlightenment on how to use mana offensively. It would help him, but in the end it was just a supplementary tool. Blood of the Malefic Viper was out too. It transformed his blood to do harm, but everything that skill did was also just far too complicated. He knew it had weird interactions with the vital energy in his body, but that was just what his instinct told him. The wings didn't really provide any hints either. Even the ability to burn the blood in the wings was entirely based on blood of the malefic viper and his alchemical flame. Speaking of the flame, that too didn't really help anything. All it did was create a transparent flame of pure mana. Jake had tested its offensive might long ago, and it was pretty much non-existent. The flame produced heat, which could be viewed as offensive, but it was a skill clearly made for crafting and not fighting. Like the difference between heat in a furnace and an explosion, it was far too stable to be viewed as any kind of attack. Then there was Palette of the Malefic Viper. It was a skill associated with knowledge of alchemical ingredients he consumed, while also amplifying the effects of his creations on himself. He couldn't see how that could... Wait. His thoughts wandered to the trial of myriad poisons. When he'd been within the vat of poisons, they'd invaded his body repeatedly, to the point that he struggled with the pain and staying conscious. But more importantly, he replayed his efforts to absorb the toxins. Back then he had sought to break down the ingredients, rip them apart with his mana to absorb them easier. He had tapped into the natural effects of the skill and helped it make the process go faster, a process that was innately tied to that of destruction. The mana he had used back then wasn't the same gentle type as what he formed his bolts with. If his normal mana was like a serene lake normally, this mana had been a roaring maelstrom. Both were mana in its purest form, but one was peaceful while the other sought to destroy. Opening his eyes, he exited meditation. He stood up, lifted his hand, and formed a ball of mana. He felt its serenity. 
He understood exactly how stupid he had been. Manna was peaceful by nature, its default form one of balance. If it weren't, the world would fall apart. It dominated the atmosphere and the air around him. The many affinities didn't change that at all. To put it in other words, manna didn't have any inherent intent. It simply was. The same was true for the manna he formed. The only difference was that it carried his own signature, his own jake affinity, so to speak. When he threw a bolt of manna on anyone, all it did was impact them with a bit of foreign manna temporarily. It wasn't even a proper attack. It barely held any kinetic energy, which was only because of exactly how much condensed manna there was. Only his dark manna had some real effect. It was not because that was a proper attack either, but because of the innate qualities of dark manna and its ability to consume other manna types. His use had been crude and borderline useless. In his hand, the ball of manna formed into a bolt once more. He remembered the first time he'd seen a manna bolt being used during the tutorial's first day. He remembered how it had exploded upon impact and left a small burn mark. The bolt in his hand began to slowly change into a bluish color. Had the other mana bolts ever been transparent? He asked himself. The answer, of course, was no. Something in his mind had just clicked. Was it truly this simple? He wasn't even sure exactly how he had made the mana in his hand change. He just tried to mimic the feeling he'd gotten when he sought to destroy and refine the poison in his body, then directed his mana into the structure it had been back then. He began pouring more mana into the blue bolt in his hand. Its color remained unchanged, but he felt its power increase, and he knew it would explode upon impact with something, as a mana bolt was supposed to. Jake had changed the construct and the purpose of the mana in his hand. No longer was it just a ball of mana thrown together, but a weapon created with intent. The thought of trying to mix in the dark affinity was quickly dispelled. Jake was already reaching as he was. The bolt in his hand was turning unstable by the second as he held on to it, a constant drain on his mana to keep it from either exploding or dispersing. Looking out into the vast cloud continent before him, he spotted another cloud elemental, this one only at level 47, around half the level of the one he had thought with the hawk earlier. Turning to it, he said to the hawk, Hey, I am going to do this one solo. I need to test something. The hawk just looked at him like there was something wrong with his head. Hadn't he said not long ago to leave those cloud elementals alone? No judging, he chuckled as he saw its gaze, briefly reflecting on how funny it was that understanding the thoughts of Hawkey was easier than that of other humans. Spreading his wings, he leaped off the cloud and glided down to the massive one below. Before even touching the ground, he threw the bolt he had been making in his hand, straight into the cloud elemental he had set his sights on earlier. The bolt flew even faster than the ones he had thrown earlier. It hit the cloud elemental right in its chest, but this time it wasn't just harmlessly absorbed. Instead, it exploded in a blue burst, pushing the elemental back and leaving a large hole in its cloudy body. It quickly healed itself, but Jake wasn't discouraged. Quite the opposite. He felt a revitalized belief in his path. He had stumbled for a moment, sure, but it wasn't something he hadn't quickly fixed. It couldn't even be said he had really gone wrong. He had just been missing a piece of the puzzle. Channeling mana into his two hands, he quickly formed two more bolts of mana. The speed confirmed that his mana practice indeed hadn't been wasted at all. Throwing them both, 
two more explosions battered the elemental, forcing it to reform its lost parts. With a jolly smile, he kept bombarding the defenseless elemental a few more times before it became unable to heal. After the final bolt blew it up, the entire elemental dispersed, leaving only a small orb behind. You have slain Cloud Elemental, level 47, experience earned. From start to end, the elemental had been unable to even move towards him. Each bolt had been more potent than the one before it, as he familiarized himself with forming them. Mana practice on a lake with stones and forming strings had been useful, but nothing was better than exercise during live combat. His fighting instincts and innate desire to compete were on full display as he pushed himself to continually improve. He didn't even hesitate as he moved his gaze to get another elemental. This one was eleven levels higher than the one he had just slain. Above, the hawk stared down at the crazed human as his hands crackled with mana, throwing bolt after bolt at the elemental. It nearly felt bad for the poor things as they became fuel for the human's newfound power. It recognized the bolts of mana. It knew how to use them too, a fundamental skill for any creature of the caster archetype, even those like itself that were only partially focused on the path of magic. Yet his bolts were slightly different. Not the first ones, mind you, but the ones he was beginning to throw now. They were changing from the basic construct to something more intricate and complicated. The rate of improvement made the hawk doubt if this was indeed the same human that still looked like a newborn chick whenever he stupidly flapped his wings. Chapter 5 Look at me. I'm the mage now. Power crackled in the air as three blue bolts appeared, all of them looking like small crystals as they floated above his head. He fired them towards the cloud elemental with a thought as it struggled to reform the missing parts of its body. But his bolts weren't its only problem. Just as its arm reformed and tried to counterattack, a blade of wind cut it off, and a gust dispersed the cut-off arm, right in time for another three bolts to hit it square in its chest, forcing it back even more. Jake could only cackle at the ease of the fight. It had been going on for nearly ten minutes now, but it had been entirely one-sided. The hawk and himself worked in concert to keep the elemental suppressed and in a constant state of recovery. Less than two minutes later, it failed to heal itself, likely having run out of mana or whatever resource it used to keep itself alive. You have slain Cloud Elemental, level 91. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. Ding! Class Ambitious Hunter has reached level 85. Stat points allocated, plus four free points. Jake smiled at the level, happy to feel the sense of progression not just in his skill level, but stats too. He was looking forward to his next skill selection for his class very much, as his recent progress as a mage was sure to be reflected. He wasn't the only one that leveled up. Hawkey had also been blessed with a level at some point since their meeting a couple of days ago. Gale Song Hawk, level 91. You good to keep hunting? he asked, taking out a mana potion to chub down. The hawk glanced at him before motioning with its wing towards the now empty potion in his hand. Not sure which one it wanted, he just took out both a stamina and a mana potion. It selected the mana potion by blowing it out of his hand and into its talons, like it did every time he fed it. I am beginning to suspect you just keep me around as a free potion dispenser, he laughed as he put the two now empty bottles away in his spatial storage. 
Akim neither confirmed nor denied his heinous accusation. The two of them quickly found their next target, this time not going for an elemental, but a group of birds hunting one. While it wasn't very honorable to interfere in a fight in progress, Jake had come to accept it as commonplace in a world like this. He and Hawkey had been attacked plenty of times already in the middle of their fighting, and they were even considered pretty lucky with their high levels scaring off most potential attackers. Their ability to deter opportunistic beasts had grown with Jake's proficiency in magic. It hadn't even been half a day since he'd killed his first elemental solo with his bolts. A few hours in, he'd questioned himself why he even formed them in his hands. With the help of his ever-present sphere of perception, he could easily see all around him and better observe the mana in the air. This also meant that he could more easily form mana wherever he could see. So he began forming singular bolts of mana in the air, while at the same time making them in his hands. Over the course of the day, it became him only making free flying bolts that he kept suspended above his head. It meant that he could keep his hands free. His initial genius plan was to fire off bolts of mana while also using his bow, a plan that looked fine on paper, but in reality proved more than a little challenging to pull off. No matter how much he tried, he couldn't focus on doing both things at once, so whenever he attempted to fire an arrow, the mana bolts would fizzle out. He could still fire an arrow, summon and shoot bolts of mana, and then fire an arrow once more without any issue. The problem was that gathering a mana bolt still took a few seconds, and while that didn't sound like long, he could quickly fire off several arrows in the same period. It also wouldn't exactly serve as any type of surprise attack when the enemy could clearly see the bolts form. Which was why, for now, he stuck to going full mage. Besides, he hadn't stopped working to improve his attack method even after summoning three bolts at once. He wanted to do more and do them faster as well as gain a plethora of other improvements, all at the same time. Mana Bolt was a basic form based on a basic skill. An excellent starting point, for sure, but it was just that, a starting point. The only reason he stuck to the bolts, for now, was because of their simplicity. It allowed him to focus on substance over form, focus on the nature of the mana within each bolt, instead of the structure of the attack itself. He carefully kept refining the offensive mana within to make it more effective. He wasn't sure exactly how the bolt's power was determined, but he was confident that the mana's quality mattered. Other than that, the quantity of mana used clearly played a part too. The intelligence stat also had to play a part somewhere if his guesses were correct, and he was pretty sure they were. So far, he had felt his bolts continuously improve, even with the same amount of mana spent for each bolt. It was due to how well he used the skill, the methodology behind the bolt. Like how he improved his ability to craft potions to make one of better quality, he could make a mana bolt of a higher quality. The improvements had been constant so far. Jake's mind was entirely focused from start to end. The only breaks were his one-sided banter with Hawkey while consuming mana potions to keep him going. Moving his attention back to the present, he summoned his bow for the first time since his failed attempt to use it in concert with mana bolts dozens of fights ago. Their target was the aforementioned group of birds. Quickly he smeared the arrows in his own blood to poison them. The birds were fighting an elemental at a level that even Hawkey and he hadn't tried yet. Cloud Elemental, level 99. The three birds were nearly identical, all of them only slightly larger than Hawkey. They looked like crows, 
except for one minor detail. They were all on fire, and vortexes of flame spun around them as they whittled down the elemental. Their levels were not to be scoffed at either. Flare Crow, level 92. Flare Crow, level 95. Flare Crow, level 94. Jake exchanged a glance with Hawkey before he began channeling his infused power shot. Mark of the ambitious hunter had already been applied to the target in his sights. He focused on the skill and the build-up of stamina and mana. He tried to think of a way to improve it, but found that whatever the system helped the skill do was already better than his current comprehension of offensive mana. Besides, the way it supported infused power shot was different than a mana bolt. It served more to buff the bow during the attack than the attack itself. The arrow would naturally be affected during the process, hence increasing its power even further. How he had managed to upgrade the skill while in a pinch back in his fight against the first Alpha Badger was still a mystery to him. A confluence of enlightenment, luck, and talent had formed the skill that became the cornerstone of his victory in the tutorial. A cornerstone the unlucky Flare Crow was about to become very familiar with, especially as it was now even further enhanced by another skill in his repertoire. The level 95 Crow, chosen for being the strongest, picked up on the incoming Gale Song Hawk, but didn't appear very phased by it. That was when it suddenly froze, the gaze of an apex hunter piercing its very soul. In the middle of flight, it just began falling in the direction its momentum was already taking it, but it barely managed to be affected by gravity before an arrow soared through the land of clouds. Jake stood surrounded by mist kicked up from when he released the arrow as it penetrated the crow. Its small size was only serving to worsen the damage. The arrow pierced straight through its body, leaving a hole the size of an arm. Nearly half of its body had just been obliterated. It fell down as Jake was already charging his second shot. All of the other crows were now fully aware of the danger that had just set upon them. They had been aware of the hawk, but hadn't realized the real threat was the lower-level human in the background. They were ready for the second arrow to come, but their readiness was meaningless before gaze of the apex hunter. The attempt to dodge by the weakest crow was thwarted, as it too found an arrow embedded in its neck. The shot's power was significantly weaker, as Jake hadn't had time to charge it for as long. Weaker but still lethal. At least he thought it was lethal. What happened next forced him to reconsider that assessment, however. The first crow, which he had believed dead for sure, exploded in an inferno of golden flames, which scorched the area over a hundred meters around it. The one hardest hit by this wasn't Jake, who stood at a safe distance, nor the hawk that had yet to make it into its range, but instead the cloud elemental. The other crows didn't appear affected by the flames at all. Less than a second later, the second crow he had shot also exploded in flames. He had thought it was some kind of suicide skill for a moment, but when he saw a figure rise out of the inferno, he understood it wasn't. The crow was no longer a small bird, as it had grown tenfold in size. Its wings were blazing like a phoenix reborn as it soared into the sky, swiftly followed by the second crow that had undergone the same rebirth of flames. Both were now heading towards Jake, completely ignoring both the Elemental and Hawk. Hawkey tried to intercept them, but was instead attacked by the third crow's breath of flames, forcing it to erect a barrier of wind around itself. He was on his own, with two giant, flaming behemoths flying towards him, leaving everything in their wake scorched. The clouds below were being burned by the golden flames as they lingered and spread.
The fire was clearly not ordinary, as it could set even the clouds and cloud elemental on fire. Jake wasn't fearful as he covered his entire body in dark green scales. His sense of safety immediately increased as he raised his bow once more. No way would he make their attack easy on them. He fired another infused power shot at the highest-leveled crow in the lead. Despite its body appearing to be made of pure flames, it was still flesh and blood below the inferno. The arrow penetrated its body and went out the other side, leaving a wound behind that closed itself as quickly as it had come. The damage caused by his initial power shot was nowhere to be seen. Whatever the skill that caused their transformation did, it included healing their body at an incredible pace, their size and flames both buffed to a great degree. One more arrow was all he managed before the first crow reached him. This arrow also penetrated through the beast and left a wound that healed as quickly as it had come. It was as he expected. Dismissing his bow, he pulled out his dagger and sword. The air shimmered around him as Limit Break activated at 10%, all of his stats instantly experiencing the boost. He was ready. He felt the heat before the impact. The golden flames licked his body moments before the massive beast smashed into him beak first, trying to impale him as he burned up. But it didn't go as a crow planned. With a swift sidestep, he dodged the beak narrowly. Its flames seared his clothes but failed to burn them entirely. The scales beneath kept out the heat as his entire person caught on fire. His short sword cleaved the long wound along the crow's side as it passed him, nearly dismembering one of its wings. This was also where he confirmed another of his suspicions. The beast had grown in size and overall power, but its body was significantly weaker. Its toughness was lowered, as his attacks all did far more damage. The crow may have felt like that didn't matter due to its flames healing it frequently, but Jake knew it couldn't be sustainable. Its mana was constantly draining, every wound taking a considerable part of its limited pool to heal. The constant consumption of mana would have likely not been an issue against most foes, as its damage output was high. But fighting Jake was another story. Barely ten seconds had passed since the odd creature's initial attack. The crow had been too caught up in its counterattack to notice the issues its own body was currently experiencing. Its mana drained far quicker than the damage it took warranted, and a rotten smell began spreading in its nostrils. Rot. It was rotting on the inside, forced continuously to expend mana to heal itself. A nefarious poison had taken hold of its body, and no matter how much it tried to burn it away, it failed over and over again. The first arrow introduced the poison into its entire body in moments, and by now it was too late already. With fright in its eyes, it struggled to quickly kill the winged monster. Its comrade had also arrived. The second crow had been inflicted with less poison than the first, but the effects would begin showing soon. Jake closely monitored the state of his foes. Perhaps they held a hope that the poison would lose its effectiveness with the death of Jake, something he had no intention of allowing them to find out. He, too, had noticed the poison spreading within them. Sense of the malefic viper informed him that while they were attempting to purge their bodies, it spread nearly as fast as they did so. Maybe they would make it if they disengaged now and focused on healing, but the thought didn't even occur to them based on their reckless attacks. A third explosion of golden flames occurred when the third crow was forced into using it by the hawk in the background. Yet even with its transformation, it failed to land any attacks on the hawk. It tried to, but every time it even came close, 
the hawk flew away while continually bombarding it with blades of wind. Both fights had turned into ones of endurance, and Jake and Hawkey were both winning. The only outlier was the cloud elemental, which was still waving its giant arms around from the golden flames consuming its body. Jake, too, burned, the heat building up. He saw even the energy his body emanated due to his consuming stamina catching on fire. The golden flames were way different than simple flames. An explosion forced him back once more as the first crow went into full desperation mode. It consumed mana like crazy to make the inferno surrounding it larger and hotter. Upon landing on the cloud, Jake took another step backward, teleporting tens of meters out of the fire. He quickly took out his bow once more and fired another arrow, splitting into a dozen in mid-air. Being clunked up and massively grown in size, the two crows were both hit by a handful of arrows each. Only one of them carried even more poison, but all of them exacerbated their desperation. The two beasts retaliated, one with a breath of fire and the other a colossal fireball. Jake stepped to the side. Tens of meters passed with a single footfall as he fired another splitting arrow. He had no intentions of facing them in melee any longer, as he had enough issues dealing with the fire still lingering on his body. This kept up for a few minutes as the two crows desperately tried to lock him down and burn him up. He was repeatedly dodging and firing an arrow here and there. In the end, the second crow turned out to be the first to succumb to the poison. After a final attack that forced Jake to sacrifice one of his wings to block its attack, the crow died, and the flames died out with it. Less than a minute later, the other crow joined it. At the same time, Hawkey was beginning to struggle. Without any poison, the last crow appeared to be outlasting his hawk friend. Jake saw that a few of its feathers were now burned at their tips, and he had a feeling Hawkey wouldn't like making too much contact with those flames. It also looks like both its mana and stamina were running low from the constant need to dodge and fire off attacks. Jake came to the rescue with a fully charged infused power shot, freezing his target with gaze of the apex hunter to make sure the blow landed where he wanted it to. With the fight now at two versus one, the last crow died in less than half a minute. Aki used a skill to lock it down in a dome of wind as poisoned arrows pelted it to death. The only remaining enemy was a cloud elemental at death's door. The flames of all three crows had burned it during the fight, and it was already severely weakened due to the fighting before he and the hawk had interfered. It still took them a few minutes to finish it off, with Jake doing most of the damage using his mana bolts. Hawkey was taking a breather, only occasionally firing a few blades of wind here and there to keep it down. After it all, they both took to the air and returned to the same small cloud island they had come from. Exhausted, Jake entered meditation as the hawk also closed its eyes to rest. Chapter 6 City Lord Jake meditated on the small island of clouds with a hawk lying beside him, wings out to its side. It hadn't even bothered to perch itself on the crystal tree behind them, too exhausted to care about its dignity. Jake had used Identify on it on their way to their little island and seen that their struggles had paid off for the bird. It had gained yet another level in only one fight. Galesong Hawk, Level 92 he, too, had gotten plenty of gains. Not counting the sheer satisfaction he'd earned from the first excellent fight after exiting the tutorial, of course. Looking through the notifications, he realized he had also managed to land himself another level. 
You have slain Flare Crow, level 92. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. You have slain Flare Crow, level 95. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. You have slain Flare Crow, level 94. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. You have slain Cloud Elemental, level 99. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. Ding! Class Ambitious Hunter has reached level 86. Stat points allocated, plus 4 free points. Ding! Race Human, E, has reached level 78. Stat points allocated, plus 5 free points. The level was unexpected, as he had just gotten one in the fight before it. Then again, he was still quite a few levels lower than the ones he fought, although his experience may have been lessened due to fighting with the Hawk and the damage the Crows had already done to the Elemental before they interfered. He also had to remember his mark of the ambitious hunter, increasing his experience when fighting enemies above his own level. As always, he used the skill almost instinctually on any target he faced. He felt a bit bad to admit it, but upon meeting Hawkey for the first time, he had marked it. Closing the menus, he chose to focus on recovery for now. The flames had been extinguished with the death of the crows, that his body was still a mess. He'd lost more health than he had thought, and his stamina and mana reserves were also severely drained. After waiting a while longer, he opened his eyes and drank a healing potion. He also placed a healing, stamina, and mana potion by his side for Hockey to take. He wasn't afraid of it drinking all three at once, as even beasts innately knew not to. Meditating once more, he felt the hawk open its eyes a few minutes in and take the healing potion, as it had also clearly lost quite a few health points during the fight. The brief respite continued for a few hours as he downed a few more potions, and Hockey finished off all three of its brews meanwhile. Both back in near top form, he turned to the hawk with a questioning gaze. Ready to go again? It looked at him for a moment, before shaking its head. Jake was confused, but saw its look turned towards the ground far below them. That was when he remembered the hawk's tendency to leave every day for a few hours. What it did, he could only speculate on. He wanted to follow, but every time it had denied him, and he wasn't curious enough to ruin their partnership to discover its secret. Today, too, it motioned for him not to follow. He just nodded in acknowledgement and said, I will remain here then. I assume you can find me again. That got a brief nod and an annoyed gust of wind, questioning how he dared question its sense of direction. Jake just laughed it off as he saw the hawk jump off the cloud and soar downwards. As it disappeared from sight, he too got up and summoned his wings. Hunting with the hawk was safer and more manageable, but it wasn't good to become reliant on others. Besides, he felt like experimenting with his newfound magical abilities some more. And the innocent cloud elementals were perfect just for that. An adolescent part of him also immensely enjoyed the fact that each of them turned into a small orb of condensed cloud mana when they died. It felt like he was getting loot from his hunts. Loot that was useless to him currently, but which he was sure to find a use for at some point. Even if he didn't, it was fun to collect things. Hawkey seemed to like them too, so he could just give them to his feathered friend. He still had many random things in his spatial storage that he didn't have any use for. Two different kinds of water with a magical affinity, just to mention some things he questioned himself for collecting more than a few times. So chances were the orbs would just be thrown in a corner and forgotten. 
touching down on the continent of clouds, he quickly located his target and began charging up three bolts. The poor cloud elemental didn't even know what hit it, as it suffered the assault of the three bolts, followed by another three, and then three more. Miranda sat staring into empty air, looking lost to any outsider. In reality, she was reading a system panel that was part of her profession as Principal City Lord. Before the profession, the system had been minimal with giving out any kind of information on anything, but it usually gave something. Knowledge related to a skill would be given upon getting it. This profession, however, was different. The knowledge it came with directly was minimal, and instead it opened up an entirely new part of the system to her. A lot of information was viewable only by her as the city lord, related to a city's functions. Several panels featured elements that she had specific new skills related to. Other panels she felt were there but currently inaccessible for her, likely because she lacked the required skill. Mark had joined her the day before to talk over the new city system, the young man showing much vigor at first. However, that vigor had quickly deteriorated when he came to understand precisely how limited her power as a city lord was. He had believed she could create things, like she was in a real-time strategy game. The reality, however, was far more disappointing. While she could give specific properties to buildings and areas, she couldn't create anything per se. A city required citizens. It needed others to create the city. If not, what would be the meaning of having builder professions? There was a lot of hidden information in the many panels, however, allowing her to form conclusions from the pure conjecture of what was written. First of all, merchant-type professions existed. Despite the many individuals she met during the tutorial, she had never heard of that before. Then again, trading and bartering wasn't exactly a practice she saw anyone engage in. It was viewed as shameful to try and take advantage of others in their time of need. She also came to understand more of another part of the system, credits or system credits, a currency used by the system given to everyone in the tutorial with excess tutorial points remaining after buying rewards from the tutorial store. And as she couldn't see how anyone could buy something for their exact number of points, everyone had to have at least some credits. The thing was, the credits were indeed just a currency. They were like tutorial points and couldn't be used to buy stuff from the system. And if they could, she wasn't aware of how to get access to such a store. As an economics major, however, she understood the importance of a strong currency. Paper money had long moved away from being bound to the value of gold and had been, before the system, more digital than ever. As some economists had said, the faith in money was the most prominent religion on earth. The dollar or euro only had value because people believed it did. With the presumed collapse of every single country and government, so had that illusion of money collapsed. Paper money was now worth nothing more than the paper it was printed on. All the money people had in stocks or bank accounts was gone for good, with all electronics and nearly all objects related to technology removed by the system. So, for the system to provide a currency was a godsend for any kind of trading. It was a guarantor far more reliable than any entity before the system, an omnipotent system that she couldn't see simply disappearing from this new world. It should also simplify trading quite a lot, and with the money being a part of the system itself, it couldn't as easily be stolen. There was no bank account to hack or financial system to exploit. However, she was sure that someone in the multiverse had still found ways to exploit it. The masked man, whom she had still forgotten to ask the name of, 
had told her of how insignificant Earth was in the vast multiverse, how they were just fledglings before a world larger than they could possibly comprehend at their current level. For someone or something to find a way to exploit the system's currency was a given, but a part of her made her want not to try for fear of retaliation from the system itself. She still wasn't quite sure if it held any kind of ego or not, especially after meeting the humanoid entity in the introduction and tutorial store. Shaking her head, she returned her attention to the menu before her. It was describing the possibility of taxation in a city. Several types of taxation, none of which she had unlocked the ability to deploy yet, not that she had any intention of doing so. Though the thought was a bit funny. To tax a city consisting of one in-progress lodge, a bunch of trees, and two chairs, oh, and a waterfall and pond that she naturally would have to charge a special tax to gain access to. Honestly, there was just too much to take in. So far, Miranda felt like she'd barely scratched the surface and hadn't really used any of her new skills quite yet. She'd only tried to better shape the area affected by the pylon of civilization and read information. She had come to realize that these pylons were the cornerstones of the new settlements on Earth, possibly their entire universe. They allowed access to so many systems, and there was even a whole diplomacy tab that was still grayed out in her menu. She had already long ago gone through the current menu she could see, and most of them were bare-bones so far. The first was the city overview. City overview. City name, N.A. Population, 4. City owner, unknown. City Lord, Miranda Wells. City Tier, Burl. Not much to see now, is there, she thought. The city didn't even have a name yet. The population only showed four, as, for some reason, the system didn't count the masked man. She knew he was the owner, but even the system didn't display his name there. It was rather useless so far, but she was sure it would expand. However, the part about City Tier was at least a bit informative. From the owner, she received the title of nobility, Viscount. So her guess was that his current title had to be nobility, Earl. Not that she had any idea if that was good or not, or what it even meant. Next was a map of the city. It was rather bare, too, just showing the area affected by the pylon. It was a handful of kilometers in each direction from the pylon, 200 meters up and 100 meters down. All of these were only rough estimates, though. After that was a panel she was really looking forward to exploring in the future. Quest panel. Current city quests, N.A. Current open quests, N.A. Current contracted quests, N.A. Current compulsory quests, N.A. It was a system to design quests, one Miranda sadly didn't have the required skill to interact with yet. The current menu only displayed current quests, and there were, of course, none, as she was the one meant to create them. There were still far more unknowns regarding the system than there was solid knowledge, but she was looking forward to the possibilities nonetheless. After that came several more panels, all of them useless currently. Some were about giving people official positions, assigning land, voting, military, creating districts, defensive measures, etc. It was just a colossal bundle thrown at her at once. Ding! Profession, Principal City Lord of Earth, has reached a level 46, plus 18 free points. The notification startled her out of her thoughts. It was already the fifth one gained since getting the profession only a few days ago, meaning she had obtained nearly two a day. She wasn't sure why she got them, but she wasn't one to argue with a good thing, either. 
She just wanted to reach fifty as soon as possible and gain a skill, hopefully one to make quests. She had a feeling that could benefit both herself as well as the others. It would also help to legitimize her position to any new potential citizens. Of course, for that, she would need citizens to begin with, which in itself was quite a struggle, considering their city was located far into a forest surrounded by beasts. Her and Hank's family finding it was a miracle in itself, and more up to her intuition skill than anything else. Taking out a small notebook that she'd gotten from the masked man, she looked over her written plans for what to do if other humans came. She was a meticulous person by nature, and preferred having plans in place beforehand. Several scenarios were described based on the size of the group of survivors as well as their strength. She was fully aware that if there were too many, or if they were too strong, they would have to bluff or deceive them somehow, at least long enough for the city owner to return. Speaking of which, nobody knew where the hell he'd gone. Hank had asked him to give them space to work, and somehow he'd interpreted that as a request to disappear entirely. A complete failure in communication, to say the least. She just hoped he was here if other humans came. She had a feeling they would need him. Hank said that it would take around a week to make the lodge, so she sincerely hoped he understood that as a request to return in a week. She had a lot of questions for him, one being his name. As she scribbled away, her gaze wandered to another part of the system, one she could only see due to her proximity to the pylon. Initiate the process to claim ownership of Pylon of Civilization. Requirements to claim ownership. Slay the current city owner or be uncontested in your claim for at least 30 days while maintaining the support of at least 51% of the total population. Warning. City owner will be warned upon initiation of the process. She stared at it for a few seconds before dismissing it once more, trying to hide the menu away entirely. Her intuition skill was screening at her that should she accept it, things wouldn't go well. It was good that they were building the owner's house on top of the pylon, if others could start the process too, though Hank and the others had yet to say anything. Sighing, she returns to her notebook to continue scribbling down notes. She held a meeting with Louise later that day to help her draw up plans for at least the semblance of a city layout. Doing so was putting the cart before the horse for sure, but she had a feeling they wouldn't be a five-man city for much longer. Well, more a wish than a feeling. Miranda missed other people a lot, and had always been the very social type, so she looked forward to anyone coming. She just hoped they were nice. Chapter 7 Not Again The life of a cloud elemental was truly sad. Their only comfort was low intelligence, making them unable to comprehend exactly how much it sucked. For them, living more than a dozen hours was an outstanding achievement. Managing to actually fight back and slay an attacker? Even more so. Birds hunted them every hour of the day. All of them had long since grown familiar with the elemental's attack methods and defensive measures, and now even a winged human had joined the fray to hunt down the poor elementals. Jake fired off the bolts of mana like never before, but not from floating orbs above him. Instead, he stood with his bow held high as he shot an arrow that exploded with the power of dozens of the old mana bolts. Aki had been gone for nearly half a day. He wasn't sure what his feathered friend was doing, but Jake hadn't been idle during that time. With only himself and weak cloud elementals to fight, he'd had plenty of time to reflect on his method of attack. 
he had come to realize that not using his archery was a real waste. So he came up with a new plan to combine the two somehow. And after only a few hours of testing, he had come up with the current attack. Taking out an arrow, he formed the shape of the mana bolt around it. He poured mana into and around it, making it crackle with energy. To call it a normal mana bolt was no longer accurate. After he had formed the bolt entirely, he channeled infused power shot and fired it. It all added up to a mighty explosion of mana as the arrow pierced the cloud elemental. Just in time, too, as the arrow was just about to break apart from the excess mana, the elemental that had been the target nearly broke entirely apart as it struggled to reassemble itself again. He didn't wait as he knocked another arrow and began creating another mana bolt around the arrow. It took a few seconds to form it entirely, draw the string and fire it off, resulting in another explosion. In retrospect, it wasn't actually that much more useful than just firing off pure mana bolts. Jake could make more and fire them faster without first forming them around an arrow and firing them. Overall damage per second would likely even be higher just firing pure mana bolts. But for the first arrow, it was well worth it to form it and use infused power shot to improve it further. Only against elementals, though, due to one fatal flaw with the method. It didn't work with his poison. He had tried first to coat it in his blood and then form a bolt of mana around it, but found that the poison eroded the mana. He then tried just using a poison he had concocted, but this time the mana interfered and made the poison less effective. He then had the brilliant idea of using Touch of the Malefic Viper on an arrow to infuse it with poison. He'd even mentally slapped himself for not doing it earlier. That was, until he actually tried to do it. The arrow had barely made contact with his hand before it just broke apart and turned to ambient mana. In essence, it didn't work. Besides, when Jake turned an arrow into a mana bolt, it exploded on impact due to how unstable it was. This wasn't exactly a good way to poison anyone, and would instead just ruin the arrow's poison, even if it worked. So he decided to use his mana bolt arrows against elementals and poisoned arrows on everything else. Of course, he hoped to one day combine the two, but it seemed far away and something the system didn't particularly like. Maybe he could get a skill at 90. He felt a bit in a hurry to level up, but on the other hand, he wanted to keep pushing the still unexplored potential of his newfound proficiency in utilizing mana in combat, at least until his current rapid progression petered out. Also, he kind of didn't want to engage two powerful cloud elementals without Hawkey. He needed the bird to ensure he could actually kill them, considering his still lackluster damage output. He was an archer and not a mage, even with his mana bolts. It could get a bit dicey, and he had missed out on a few kills due to other birds swooping in and interfering. Luckily, Hawkey had returned when he made his way back to the Cloud Island. It was perched on the tree, impatiently staring at Jake as he arrived. With a slightly apologetic nod, he sat down and entered meditation to top himself off right away so they could return to their hunt. He didn't need more than half an hour to get back in top form once more, mainly because of the potion he drank, but excessive consumption of alchemical products was a hallmark of his recovery process by now. The next days were relatively uneventful compared to what Jake was used to. They killed cloud elementals, fought off asshole groups of birds trying to take advantage of them, acted like assholes by taking advantage of other groups of birds, then so on. The usual stuff that happens on a cloud island the size of a country. Every day, Hawkey would leave for anywhere between a few hours to half a day. 
Jake spent this time either experimenting with mana or solo hunting a bit. He was lucky that he had stocked up on so many potions that he didn't have to brew any. His bolts of mana had improved hour by hour, and by now were far more potent than the ones he'd started with. Their shape now resembled small lightning bolts as they crackled with energy floating above him. Their killing did unavoidably result in a lot of experience earned. Jake ended up gaining another three levels, even if he didn't find the fights that interesting. Ding! Class Ambitious Hunter has reached level 87, stat points allocated, plus four free points. Ellipsis. Ding! Class Ambitious Hunter has reached level 89, stat points allocated, plus four free points. Ding! Race Human E has reached level 79, stat points allocated, plus five free points. Just one more level, and he would unlock another skill. He was very expectant, of course. Two days ago, his progress in the mana bolts had significantly stagnated as he began to run out of ways to improve them. For now, it would just take hard work and time for further improvements. Compared to the first mana bolt he'd thrown with his hand like a plebeian, he now shot off crackling bolts of pure, unadulterated pain like a true mage. The only minor issue with them was their innate instability. He wasn't sure why they were like that, they just were. Perhaps it was due to his desire to continually pack more power and destructibility in them, or maybe it was due to his starting point with forming the bolts. It was the thought process of turning mana destructive, after all. Jake always had more focus on improving destructibility over stability. Not that he held any regrets towards that. That path felt more natural for him to begin with. The mana closer aligned to his so-called Jake affinity. He hadn't noticed the small purple wisps of energy that had begun appearing in his bolts, the same kind that had emerged during the trial of myriad poisons when he sought to destroy and break down the poison in his body. Each of them was far too minute for him or anyone but the strongest of gods to detect. Hawkey had also progressed steadily, gaining only two levels, though. He didn't see any notable improvements in his hawk's fighting abilities, but it had gotten faster and a bit stronger. The underlying toolkit remained the same, consisting of wind attacks and swift movement. Either way, he was satisfied with his progress, and the bird didn't complain either. The only ones that really had a right to complain were the cloud elementals, whose sole existence was to die within hours of being born. They had traveled quite far into the cloud island, too. Surprisingly, that didn't really result in the levels of the elementals or the birds increasing. There weren't even more of them. However, it allowed him to get a better look at the giant crystal tree that was the epicenter of the entire thing. It was truly massive. Lightning crackled between its branches and the small trees below it as it stood there menacingly. Using Identify on it didn't yield any result, meaning it likely wasn't a monster. It also felt far too big to be useful in alchemy. The pressure it gave off was enough for the two of them to keep a safe distance, though. Neither of them was interested in getting hit by a wayward bolt of lightning. He was a bit surprised to see that some birds didn't have the same reservations, but upon further inspection, he came to understand why. They were monsters of the lightning affinity, and thrived in an environment filled with volatile energy. This didn't mean that those birds were safe close to the tree, however. They faced powerful competition from other monsters trying to monopolize the powers found there. A few of these competitors made Jake and Hawkey retreat in a hurry, especially two that seemed exceptionally competitive. One was a giant bird, a commercial airliner's size, 
with a wingspan tens of meters wide. Its body was covered in feathers colored a deep black with small blue patterns here and there. Lightning crackled in its wake when it moved, and it kept away all other birds in the area by frying them completely. The pressure the giant bird gave off made it clear it was a step ahead of all the other beasts. Thunder Rock, unknown. The second competitor looked a lot like a cloud elemental, but instead of the fluffy white body, this one had a dark gray form with thunder crackling within. Its body flashed with electricity every few seconds as it sat on one of the tree's larger branches, absorbing the lightning mana as far as Jake could tell. In size, it dwarfed even the gigantic rock, a skyscraper of lightning and death. It, too, was D-tier. Storm elemental, unknown. These two were what dominated the center of the Sky Island. Throughout the week he had seen the two face off a few times, but they appeared unable to properly wound each other. Both were relying on lightning attacks, while at the same time being mostly immune to them. So they had reached a semblance of balance, each keeping to their own side of the tree. Other birds and elementals were competing below, sometimes trying in vain to reach for the crown where most of the lightning mana was condensed. He couldn't help but throw Hawkey a glance the first time they saw the two of them, hinting if they should give it a shot sometime soon, to which he'd gotten a bewildered look back as if he was the biggest idiot the hawk had ever seen. Not that he didn't understand why. The two of them were clearly far above their level. They should still both be in the early D tier, but of course that didn't mean they were something the two of them could handle. As always, he couldn't help but compare them to the king of the forest. He imagined how the king would fare against these creatures. The version of the king before being stabbed by a tusk, weakened by the bead from the nest watcher, and blown up by the corrupted moonstone. And the conclusion he reached was the mental image of the rock being torn apart by the golden claw, the elemental ripped into countless pieces by telepathy as a shockwave of mental energy crushed both of their souls into nothingness. At least that was what his intuition told him would have happened. He was perfectly aware that he had never truly seen the king in his prime. All the extraordinary items had weakened him to a ridiculous degree. What he did remember, however, was his fully powered infused power shot being blocked like it was nothing. Returning to the real world, he was currently flying back towards their little cloud island once more for a round of meditation and drinking potions. Their daily routine became more and more habitual, as Hawkey didn't even have to ask for a potion anymore. Just as he entered meditation, he was thrown out of it by a system message. Quest received. Contested pylon of civilization. City Lord Miranda Wells has initiated the process to take control of the pylon of civilization. If left unchecked, you will lose ownership. Time remaining, 29 days, 23 hours, 59 minutes, 59 seconds. Quest reward. Retain control of pylon of civilization. Penalty upon failure. Loss of ownership of the pylon of civilization. Nobility, Earl, downgraded to nobility, Viscount. He stared at it for a while, bewildered. What the hell? He was confused, but the confusion quickly turned to anger as he stood up abruptly, startling Hawkey. But what startled Hawkey more was the aura he currently gave off. Bloodlust filled the air in an almost tangible aura. His eyes were blazing with the yellow sheen from gaze of the apex hunter. To say that he was pissed was an understatement. He had been told to stay away for a week. Nine days had passed. Nine fucking days, and they had tried to pull a fast one on him. 
Two days over their agreed-upon time was all they had bothered to wait. Only two scenarios were in his head. One, they believed he had died and had decided to claim the pylon for themselves. Fine, he could accept that. He was still going to kill them, but he could buy it. The second option was that they just didn't give a shit anymore, that they didn't care about Jake's rightful ownership of the pylon and had come to believe that he wasn't powerful enough to defend it from them. I have some shit to deal with. Be back later, he said, as he leaped off the cloud island and began descending. He could feel the pylon and made a beeline for it. Aki just sat there frozen, unable to respond to the sudden wave of bloodlust he was giving off. His anger only grew further as he flapped his wings faster than ever before. He had believed in Miranda, and his intuition had told him that he could trust her. He was angry at himself, but even angrier at her. Even if she thought he was dead, did she have that little respect for him, that little trust? Even if he was dead, couldn't she be bothered to wait for a man a couple of days? He had given her a powerful profession, a title, a future in this new world. She had seemed genuinely thankful, and this was his thanks. He had saved all their damn lives not even two weeks ago. Not that he thought he owned them or anything, but he expected at least a modicum of respect from all four of them. It doesn't matter now, he thought, as he sped up even more. Limit break was active at ten percent to go even faster. He had shown trust, and they had thrown it right back in his face. He wasn't some meek person who would just let that fly. They had chosen their own fates. His only regret was his own naivety. Hadn't he learned already, from Andrew and his first and only girlfriend, from Caroline and her betrayal in the tutorial? Every time he had chosen to trust someone, they had broken that trust. Descending like a meteor, his bloodlust grew. Not a single beast dared get in his way. Chapter 8 Visitors It had all started four days prior. The house's construction was pretty much done, and Hank was considering making some simple pieces of furniture. They also had a sit-down to talk about plans to make a few more buildings elsewhere for themselves. That was when Miranda got pinged by her skill that others had entered the pylon of civilization's area of influence, others humans. She was immediately filled with a paradoxical feeling of both concern and anticipation. Concern about how many there were, their intentions and their strength, and anticipation at the potential of having more citizens join the city. Maybe beginning to actually make it worthy of being called a city. She notified Hank and the kids as they talked over what to do. Louise and Mark should go hide in the cellar of the house, Hank started. At Miranda's request, the cellar was rather well hidden, and one wouldn't find its entrance without looking around for it, which was to say they had put the pelt of an animal over the hatch. Not going to happen, Louise said adamantly. We both evolved to. If they want to fight, let's give them one. We should avoid fighting if we can, Miranda said, no matter how strong or how many there are. She sighed as she tried to calm down the fired-up Louise. The system clearly hadn't fixed the illogical mind of the young woman. Or I don't want to hide either, Mark said, a bit meekly. Hank chose to concede, as they quite frankly didn't have time for the discussion right now. Fine, but no fightment was absolutely necessary, and keep quiet. They spoke a bit more, all gathered around the house still, as they waited for the arrival of whoever was to come. 
The skill Miranda had that made her aware they were here did nothing more than that, just gave her a vague feeling that someone had entered. Not how many, not how strong, nor where they were now. Miranda wasn't even sure if she could feel it if they left the area again, so all they could do was to wait in trepidation. Luckily, or perhaps unluckily, they didn't have to wait long before someone arrived. A hooded figure was hiding at the entrance to the valley and peeking out from behind a rock. She saw the four people there in front of a wooden lodge, the large bearded man with an axe over his shoulder, a woman, a young man, and a young woman, all wearing robes, two casters and a healer, from what she could tell. A quick identify of all four showed that none of them were overly highly leveled and all were E-grade. The woman and the man were the highest leveled individuals at 33 and 34, respectively. She quickly retreated to her group, which waited a few hundred meters away at a small clearing within the forest. As she walked out from behind a tree, exiting stealth, the group turned towards her, a young man in the lead. That was fast. Did you find anything? he asked with a slight smile. His face was pale, and his eyes seemed a bit listless despite his smile. He was wearing a robe with golden runes and a small chain around his neck, with the necklace itself hidden beneath his robes. But even with his weak appearance, she knew that he was by far the strongest in their party. They were a group of five that had met and survived the tutorial together, from level zero to where they were today, without losing a single member. The first of the party's members was the woman herself, Eleanor, the archer of the group. Next was their defender, Kristen, the only other woman on the team. She was currently sitting in a chainmail set, resting against a log with their healer, Silas, tending to a large wound on her stomach, a particularly nasty one that was resisting his healing quite effectively. Then there was Levi, their weird magic swordsman who didn't quite fit into a role. He'd initially been a medium warrior, but began picking up more magic skills and eventually evolved into a hybrid class at twenty-five. Last but not least was their leader, Neil, the sole caster of their party, and a weird one at that. He was specialized in kinetic magic, or more accurately recently, space magic, displacement, teleportation, whatever the hell struck his fancy, he somehow figured out how to do, which was also how they had arrived where they were in their current state. I saw four humans, she answered, after a brief pause. I didn't attempt to see anyone else. They have constructed a lodge in the valley, and from the looks of it, now that we are here, at least they are on guard. Their levels, and were there any clue as to their causes or capabilities? Neil asked further. Strongest two at thirty-three and thirty-four, with the one at thirty-four wielding an axe, and the other wore the standard caster robe from the tutorial. The last two looked like teenagers, one of them a healer and the other a caster, both also E-grade. Neil looked a bit troubled at the answer. This doesn't make any sense. Why would we be taken here if they are so weak? Maybe it has something to do with the area, Levi theorized. Had he noticed how we haven't encountered a single monster or beast since coming here? Perhaps we are within a protective barrier of some kind? Wouldn't it be easier just to ask those four? With their levels they hunt a threat, the defender Kristen said, her wound beginning to close up nicely. At this point I don't think we have much of a choice, Neil said, a bit resigned. Even if there is truly nothing here, we should have created a lot of distance between them and us. They had teleported there with the help of Neil and a particular item in his possession. Teleported a vast distance, likely hundreds, if not thousands, of kilometers. This wasn't the first teleport either, 
but one of many they have been forced to perform ever since returning from the tutorial. Let's go, then. It didn't look like bad people, Eleanor said. She had her bow draped over her shoulder and her quiver on her back. If Jake had been here, he would have recognized the quiver as identical to his own, also upgraded to uncommon rarity from a token. In fact, all five of them had gear at a level Jake hadn't encountered on anyone except himself. Not a single one of them was wearing their starting gear, and those that were had upgraded versions. More surprising was, perhaps, their levels. At the front was Neil at level 52, followed by Kristen at 48, Silas and Levi both at 47, and Eleanor herself at only 45. She said only, but that was merely in comparison to the rest of her party. Yeah, you're moving, guys and gals. Kristen smiled as she stood up. Silas just shook his head, as he wasn't entirely done healing the wound yet. Then again, perhaps it was best her natural regeneration did the rest of the work for now. The five of them walked through the narrow passage leading into the valley. The first sight meeting them was the idyllic lodge positioned right next to the pond with a waterfall and the four people standing in front of it, clearly on guard. Hank was in the lead, and the moment he saw them he felt a sense of dread. He had identified the woman in front and seen her level at forty-eight, fourteen entire levels above his own, and a quick glance at the other members of the group of five made it very clear exactly how outmatched they were, especially the young man in the golden robe, whose level he couldn't even see. He looked like a maid, though. The two groups stared at each other for a while before the man in the lead from the second group stepped forth and broke the silence. Ah, uh, this is awkward he said with a light smile. We come in peace, so no reason to be that tense. I would just like to ask a few questions, and then we will be on our way. If we can help, we would be more than happy to, Miranda answered. Thank you, the man said courteously. First of all, what is up with this place? The absence of monsters is quite something. And did you build that lodge behind you? The lodge was indeed made by us. My comrade here is quite the builder. Miranda nudged at Hank. As for the peculiarities of this place, while we have noticed them, I cannot tell you the reason why it is... Lie, another man in a robe interrupted. Not a good start, lying in the second sentence. The front man chuckled. For transparency, my friend here happens to have a skill that can discern lies. Hank already felt like the situation had just gone from bad to worse, as their first tactic had just gone out the window. Miranda felt a cold shiver run down her spine. If that was true, it threw off ninety percent of her plans for this interaction. That was already calculating in the fact that they were at a level of power far beyond them. Damage control, she thought. I am sorry, she said. I mean that I don't know exactly why this area is as it is, only that it is related to the owner of this land. The lodge behind me is also built for him, and this entire valley was already his home when we found it. If lies didn't work, she would have to use truths only. A bit creatively, perhaps. The owner, you say, who might this owner be? The man continued. I do not know. Not even his name is known to me, she answered, praising the fact that she had forgotten to ask his name time and time again. What I do know is that he is powerful and, from what I could tell, human. From what she could tell... What makes you think this mysterious owner isn't human? I strongly suspect he is human, but since identify does not work on him, I couldn't confirm. 
His level of power also makes me doubtful of his humanity to begin with. It seemed prudent to let the mysteriousness of the masked man play to her advantage. Doesn't work, the other leader asked, a bit confused. As in, not at all. No, not at all. It just returned a single question mark, Hank said, cutting in. The mage frowned. Why is this person now? He left four days back or so, Miranda said. We don't know to where, but I believe he will return within the next three to four days, due to it being the deadline set for finishing his new lodge. She very purposefully tried to make her answers fulfilling to avoid too many follow-up questions. She wanted to, at all costs, avoid any mention of the pylon. Luckily, she was the only one aware of it. I see. Exactly how strong would you reckon this individual is? he asked, as he looked to be in deep thought. Strong enough to make me not tell you out of fear he will retaliate when he returns, Hank cut in once more, giving an answer way better than Miranda had thought of. Miranda quite honestly couldn't tell how things were going, but she hoped they had at least managed to avoid a fight. Luckily, she had a few more cards up her sleeves, too, left by the owner. We understand, Neil answered with a smile after throwing a glance at Silas. He got a nod in confirmation that neither the man or the woman had lied since the first part. What ensued next was a few moments of staring at each other, only interrupted when Kristen winced a bit and grabbed her stomach in pain. It was rather subtle, but the other party noticed it. Are you injured? the woman acting as the spokesperson asked with a bit of genuine concern. She did still seem wary, though. Neil looked at Kristen for a bit, getting a small nod. We ran into some trouble coming here. Our particularly nasty curse happens to have affected her, and it takes some time to heal. The woman nodded in acknowledgment. It wasn't like Kristen's injury was any kind of chance for them. If a fight broke out, Neil and his party would win for sure. Just one or two of the five could very likely wipe them out, though it was positive that Neil didn't think it would come to that. Anything that would come to bite us in the ass later? The axe-wielding man asked, not so courteously. Hopefully not, Neil dismissively said, before turning to the woman once more. As this area is the safest we have come across so far in our journey, I would like to ask permission to stay here. As the owner isn't around, would you be able to allow us to stay? I, she began, clearly, quickly remembering the living lie detector. The final decision is up to the owner, but I am unable to stop you from staying if you wish to. Great, Neil laughed after Silas said nothing. Do not hesitate to ask us for anything. We truly do not come with any ill intent. I believe working together would be of interest to both parties. I agree that working together is preferable to standing in opposition to one another, the woman said, smiling in return. She reached down and took a small satchel out from beneath her robes, one everyone recognized as the one that had contained potions at the beginning of the tutorials. Take this as a proof of goodwill, she said, tossing the satchel to Neil. Neil didn't catch it, per se, but instead stopped it a meter or so from his body, making it float in mid-air. He was still cautious, despite how friendly he had acted. With a thought, he opened the satchel and saw a handful of similarly familiar bottles within. He chuckled a bit internally at the gesture. The potions had been excellent back then, but he wasn't sure how much they would really do with everyone well into the E-grade. The only interesting thing was how the hell they had managed to save the potions throughout the tutorial. That was, until he tried identifying a few of them, almost on instinct, 
and noticed something was off, one of each type was of common rarity. I would feel that accepting your reward from the tutorial like that, Neil said. He had concluded that the woman had used her tutorial points to buy these potions, a natural decision, and not the first instance of people he'd encountered doing so, but it did make the gesture appear far more genuine. Don't misunderstand. Those were made by the owner, she quickly explained. Made? he asked, a bit confused. He believed the potions to be a product of the tutorial, a system-created item to assist them, not unlike the upgrade tokens. Was this not the case? He has many mysterious means. The creation of these potions is just one of them, the woman answered, clearly doubling down on the mysteriousness of the city owner once more. Silas was not protesting either, so this had to be the truth, at least according to what she knew. I will keep that in mind, Neil answered, this time a bit more tentatively. His four companions were also surprised at the thought that people could make those potions. Well then, to a prosperous future, the woman said, with a small bow and a smile. Chapter 9 Familial Conflict It's hard to believe, Levi said, as he stared at the blue bottle in his hand. How do you even make something like this? How do you shoot magical blades at people, and how does Neil cut afford his thousands of kilometers at a time? Kristen scoffed, before continuing. And how does Silas heal wounds in seconds, or Eleanor's arrows appear from thin air, or... Yeah, yeah, I get it. No need to be a bitch, Levi said, handing the potion back to Silas, who was keeping them for now. Sorry I hurt your feelings. Me being a bitch has totally nothing to do with my stomach being constantly on fire, she said sarcastically. Sorry... Silas apologized meekly. He was still trying to heal it, but all he could do was keep it in check as the power of the curse slowly ran itself out. It isn't your fault, Neil cut in. We didn't know they had made an alliance and got overconfident. Hopefully this mysterious owner can help us. I still don't like trusting some unknown person we don't even know is human, Kristen sighed. We can't keep running either, Levi said, and there is no way in hell we hand the orb to them. Not like they are going to let us live either way. Won't this owner want the orb, though? Eleanor asked. I doubt we can keep it hidden if we actually need his assistance. Let's just hope he isn't interested, then, Neil said, smiling. In the meantime, we shouldn't idle. They are for sure on our trail, so not preparing would be foolish. So we are staying here, Silas asked, as he channeled what little mana he had recovered into Kristen's wound. Neil looked at the two, and then the wound, which still appeared to have small embers burning in it. Kristen is not in any shape to travel like she is now, and I used the last remaining ingredients I had on the lost teleportation circle. We may be able to outrun them still, but is that really a way to live? So yes, we are staying, for better or worse. At the current time, they had created some distance from the lodge and the four other survivors. A discussion was in order on how to move forward, but in the end... Decisions nearly always fell on Neil to make. Should we involve those four? Eleanor inquired. Neil nodded once more. I think it would be wise. They must have some rapport with this owner, so having a working relationship at the minimum would be preferable. They may also be able to provide further assistance and help with preparing for the inevitable arrival of my cousin's group. Speaking of assistance, why don't you take a swig of one of these little wonder bottles? Levi asked Silas, who was clearly out of mana again. 
They already used identify on the potions, and it had returned the same message as back in the tutorial. Mana potion, inferior, restores mana when consumed. Mana potion, common, restores mana when consumed. It didn't show the values, and in their eyes looked identical to the ones they'd consumed back then. The only difference was the common tag on some of them, so these were likely of higher quality. They could be poisoned, Silas said, a bit hesitantly. That would be a shitty assassination attempt, Levi said with a big laugh. Even if it worked, we would just wipe them out. No worry, if you die, I promise to take revenge for you. Screw you, Silas joked as he took out the potion. Here goes nothing. Silas felt the liquid enter his body and a flood of mana spread throughout. Far more mana than those shitty mana potions had provided during the tutorial. He sat staring into thin air for a while after drinking it as he checked his status. Holy shit! What? Is anything wrong? Levi asked, concerned about his earlier jokes becoming a reality. It gave me more than twenty-two hundred mana, Silas said, still in disbelief. What? That's like my entire mana pool, Levi exclaimed in shock. Neil, Kristen, and Eleanor also looked on with interest. Kristen and Eleanor didn't really use mana, but if the mana potions were that good, chances were the stamina potions were too. Neil, on the other hand, began to see possibilities he hadn't considered before. And there are no side effects, Neil asked. None, Silas calmly explained as he collected his thoughts. Works just like the tutorial ones. I can tell there is the same one-hour cooldown, too. This is just crazy. Well, I think making a partnership with those four is pretty much settled now, Neil said, laughing. Especially if they got more of these potions. Perhaps they would be able to put up a defense by the time she arrived, after all. After that, they returned to the lodge, where Miranda and the others still sat. They agreed to work together, as Neil also came clean about their reasons for coming there. Their tutorial had been more like Jake's than Miranda's. A smaller number of people put in an archipelago of islands with bridges connecting each one. Each island had had a general level range of beasts and other types of monsters. The five of them had known each other before the integration. Kristen and Silas were childhood friends, while Neil and Levi had gone to the same class in university. Eleanor was a friend of Kristen, as they'd lived in the same university dorm. All of them were only in their early to mid-twenties, and Neil was the oldest of the bunch. But there had also been others. Neil's cousin, a woman named Abby, had also entered. She had joined with a group of her own friends and her father, Neil's uncle. In the beginning they had teamed up with this group. Their teamwork turned out to be immaculate as Kristen took the front and tanked, Eleanor scouted and made ranged attacks, and Neil and Levi provided most of the damage, with Neil also learning supporting skills later on. Silas was the group's designated healer. All had gone well till they encountered a particular island. This one had contained no monsters of any kind, but instead a large crypt, which they had entered with a large group of nearly two hundred people. There they'd found a unique challenge dungeon. All casters below twenty-five, which was all of them, as it was still only the first week, got the chance to enter it. They pretty much all did, in their unbridled naivety. As was customary of a challenge dungeon, you either won or failed. It had been designed for one to win it, but something unexpected had happened. Two people had managed to, against all odds, beat the challenge dungeon. After a month, Abby and Neil had both walked out the door, the only two victors. 
Both had gotten a new and powerful class. Both had upgraded it to an even more potent version at 25-2. From that point onward, they dominated the tutorial. Both were higher level and more powerful than anyone else. Their parties had benefited from this too, as their levels soared in concert with their own. After the challenge dungeon, Neil and his cousin had split up. Each went their own way to find and hunt more beasts. By some miracle, or perhaps by design, they'd reached the final island simultaneously, when only a single day of the tutorial remained. There they had entered a new area together. Within, Abby and Neil, as well as their respective companions, had encountered the final boss, the disciple of the one who had given them the legacy in the challenge dungeon. The one who had given them their class was long dead, with only this one disciple remaining behind as an honor to his old master. The disciple had been D-grade, more potent than they could possibly handle. Luckily, he hadn't been there to fight them. He'd offered them yet another trial, one they could try with their parties of five. Abby at this time had come with a group of several hundred people, an entire army at her command. Of course, she protested at the limitation of only five people, but the disciple insisted, and even the headstrong Abby didn't dare cross the degrade disciple. Once more, Abby and Neil had competed, which was when the disparity between the two became apparent. Not in their personal skill, but the skill of their party. Neil had only ever been with his party of five. Be it through luck or fate that they had decided to stick together from the start, it had resulted in an immense advantage throughout the trial. Their party had even cleared two dungeons prior, and all managed to get good equipment. On the other hand, Avi had put herself and her father before everyone else. In personal power, she'd been above Neil. Her father had also been slightly stronger than any of Neil's party members. But that was it. The rest who'd followed her were far from powerful individuals. This had resulted in Neil winning in the end. Abby walked out with only her and her father surviving. As a reward, Neil was granted the Orb of Kalox, named after the one they had inherited their class from, the item that would come to be the reason for their current predicament, and upon sharing its properties, Miranda and Hank understood why. Orb of Kalox, legendary, an orb made by the space mage Kalox in his final days, left to his disciple to grant to any worthy inheritor of his path, the orb was made by condensing a microcosm to physical form in the shape of an orb. It is nigh indestructible by any being below B-tier. Due to the very life of Kalox being consumed in its crafting process, it contains insights into his understanding of the concept of space. The orb contains a spatial storage that is able to house non-living objects, can store a large amount of space mana. Requirements? Inheritance class of Kalox obtain. I was foolish enough to show Abby too. Neil said with regret. I was naive and excited at having gotten it, and believed she would share in my excitement as we moved forward into this new world together. Outwardly she did appear to do so, until we returned from the tutorial and the disciple of Kalox was no longer there to interfere. That was when we found ourselves surrounded by her army of followers who demanded we hand over the orb and all our equipment. I thought you were family, Louise said, as she had also gotten invested in the story. Neil smiled sadly. So did I. I naturally refused and even offered that we could both study and use the orb together. This wasn't good enough for her. So she, along with all her followers, tried to kill us. How did you manage to escape when surrounded by hundreds of people? Hank asked. By luck, mostly. We managed to take advantage of their bad formation and break out even without my space magic. 
After that, we ran for half a day, being pursued all the time. You managed to shake them off for the better part of a day. Just enough time for me to set up a teleportation circle and take us hundreds of kilometers away. Teleportation circle? Miranda asked. She had a good idea what it was, but confirmation was always preferable. A type of formation to transport us a far distance, but each one consumes ingredients, and I have to use a stored-up mana in the orb to power it. And before you ask, I am all out of ingredients. But if you teleported away, how do they find you again? Hank pressed. The orb and my class. Avi can track me anywhere I go, and these four idiots refuse to leave me, Neil said, referring to his friends, who all just smiled goofily. We kept teleporting a few times, the last one taking us to this forest. So to sum it up, an army of people far stronger than you is chasing you down to kill you, and now you have led them here to kill us too, Miranda asked, rather directly. I guess, Neil answered a bit sheepishly. And exactly how long do we have before our imminent demise? Neil felt a bit of sweat on his back from the woman's intense glare as he answered, Three days at the minimum, a week at most. Great, Miranda said with a big sigh. Brilliant plan. Why exactly did you choose to teleport here to begin with? I... We encountered others on the way. One group we encountered was absolutely massive, far stronger than us, or even Abby's, by a mile. We are talking thousands. A priest or something led them. He did some weird shit, and suddenly I had these coordinates in my head. He told us that we would find, and I quote, salvation and our fated path. Yeah, I don't get it either, but for some reason I believed him. Silas's skill also said that he didn't lie. Sounds a bit too convenient, don't you think? Hank asked, more than a little skeptical. I perfectly understand your doubts, Neil said. I was doubtful too, at first, but he was so damn convincing. I can't properly explain it. Why didn't she stay with them if they were such a big group? Miranda asked, equally skeptical of the entire story. We tried, but he refused us. He said that joining them would not end well for either party, that our parts were not found within his fold. Sounds like you met a lunatic or a con man, Hank scoffed. And if I am right, that lie detector skill can probably only confirm what the one speaking thinks is true, and not some universal law. Am I right? Silas looked briefly at Neil, and when he got a nod of approval, he too nodded. That was indeed how the skill worked. In other words, if the speaker didn't believe they'd lied, it wouldn't register as a lie. Maybe, maybe not, Neil continued, defending his action of believing a random guy. But he was strong, real strong, not just in level but in spirit. He was also surrounded by equally powerful people who all seemed keen on protecting and listening to him. Doesn't matter right now, Miranda finally cut in. What matters right now is what we plan on doing about the people coming here to kill us. We can't just count on the owner showing up. I agree, Neil said, more than happy to change the subject. He proceeded to explain a few of his plans, but it was clearly something that would take more time to plan properly. It also quickly became apparent that every single member of the five-man party had evolved professions. So who was this guy? Hank asked bringing the topic back to the mysterious guide. I never got a name, Neil confessed, but everyone referred to him as the Orga. Chapter 10 Unbalanced Miranda sat on the small stairs leading up to the lodge. 
She watched the intricate patterns drawn on the ground by Neil as he worked to improve the magic circle, a massive formation covering tens of meters all around the lodge. Hank was working with Kristen to make him a better axe. She was a blacksmith and was more than happy to help when he asked, though Miranda was pretty sure the young woman just felt terrible about the situation she had put him and his two kids in. Silas meditated as he did most of the time. He had managed to finally get rid of Kristen's cursed wound the day before and was now able to rest for the first time since she'd gotten the injury. Mark had chosen to accompany him as he had been following the man around to learn how to be a better healer. Louise had spent most of her time making pits and overall warping the environment around them. She had a skill that allowed her to do some minor terraforming, but it was good enough to improve their natural defenses with enough time. Eleanor hadn't been seen for days. She was the de facto scout of their party and had left to keep track of when the incoming party would come. They knew the direction they were coming from, and she had a few skills to locate people while keeping herself hidden. Levi was the most useless of the bunch, just swinging his sword in the air, trying to get in every second of training possible. Maybe hoping for some miraculous last-minute skill upgrade or perhaps just a level. Whatever the case, the sense of urgency and desperation was tangible. It was the fourth day since they'd arrived. The enemies could come at any point now. The time had been fruitfully spent overall, as they had more or less prepared as well as they could in this time. Especially Neil, who had put down the large formation to defend them, had made many preparations. The lodge was to be their final stand. The building was constructed by Hank, and his skills enhanced it. It was far more durable than regular wood, and could perhaps offer some form of protection from weaker attacks. They knew the other side had many people, so hopefully it could block some of their ranged attacks at least. Miranda hadn't yet shared her role as a city lord, nor even mentioned the existence of the pylon. It wasn't her place to do so, and she still didn't entirely trust the party of five. Their cooperation was forced due to the circumstances. But if their claims proved to be accurate, then maybe doubling the city population was possible. She had already gotten three more levels in the profession and reached sixty. This had earned her a few glances, as they were surprised her race level had gone up by two so fast. They hadn't asked her, though. They were likely too focused on trying not to die. Upon leveling, she had also earned another skill. She had been offered the one related to creating quests, but had decided to go with one that was a bit more immediate. Its functions were pretty simple. It was a purely defensive skill that allowed her to create a barrier in a small area. She had chosen to share the functionality of this skill with Neil. Neil's barrier was meant to do basically the same, but his used space magic, while hers used pure mana. But from what she had gathered, hers was borderline impenetrable on its own already. As long as it held, that was, and it could only be used around the pylon. So they had two defensive barriers and a lodge created by an evolved builder. Bunkering down did seem like a possible tactic if all they had to do was buy time. The problem was that they weren't sure if buying time would lead to anything. The city owner hadn't appeared for several days. In fact, it had now been nine whole days since any of them saw him. Miranda knew that he still lived, as he was listed as the city owner. Well, with a question mark, but still. All they could do was hope he returned in time. Time slowly ticked by as they trucked on with their final preparations. Miranda had a weird feeling of both wanting them to come and get the torturous wait over with, and for them to be as delayed as possible. Somewhere deep in her heart, she still hoped that they could negotiate. 
It didn't sit right with her to hand over Neil and his party, but if that was what she had to do to protect Hank and his children, she was willing to do so. Reluctant, but willing. She had made a promise to help keep them safe to Hank's wife, and she had never fancied herself a liar. Her wish for the wait to be over came true not long after. Eleanor dashed into the camp, yelling, They're coming! All the tension that had built up came fully to the forefront. Kristen immediately stopped the hammer and threw it to the ground. She hadn't taken off her armor once since the wound had healed and was already ready to fight. Neil stood up from his kneeling position, also mentally preparing himself for what was to come. Silas exited the lodge with a worried expression, while Levi simply stopped swinging his sword and turned towards where Eleanor had come from. His gaze showed that he was ready. Hank, Louise, and Mark all went to the house as they had planned beforehand. Louise had been given the task of pouring manna into some runes Neil had placed inside the house to strengthen it further, while Mark was their backup healer. Hank himself exited soon after with his axe over his shoulder, concern apparent on his face. They already have eyes on us, Neil said, as he stood beside Miranda in front of the lodge, all the others behind them. I can feel it, she said. And she could. She had felt that people had entered the area of the pylon earlier. Soon more pings came from her skill, signifying several more people entering. With Neil's group, she hadn't been able to distinguish how many there were. She still couldn't, but the fact that several pings came at once must mean that several groups had entered. That, or one massive group too big for even her vague skill to recognize it as one. They heard them before they saw them. Several voices emerged alongside the sound of marching, making it clear they didn't even put up the facade of trying to hide. Their scouts, without a doubt, had already relayed that only nine people resided in the valley. From one of the entrances, Miranda finally saw them. In front was a relatively small woman, or teenager. She didn't look any older than eighteen or nineteen, but the system had made telling age quite a bit harder. Beside her walked a man with a shaved head and black beard. His appearance was very similar to the girl at his side. She, like Neil, wore an embroidered robe of excellent quality. She also wore several pieces of jewelry and appeared to float a few centimeters off the ground. Overall, she gave off an immense sense of danger, and it wasn't hard for Miranda to recognize her as the infamous Abby. Nice place you found yourself, cuz, she said, with a big smile, as she looked at Neil and the idyllic waterfall and pond behind the lodge. Would be a waste to ruin it, wouldn't you agree? Neil fired back, with a similar smile. However, Miranda could feel his anxiousness. I don't know about that, Abby said, her smile instantly gone. Where is the orb? With me, as always, he said, taking it out from beneath his robe. It was a small black marble that, at first glance, was utterly unimpressive. He had fixed it on a chain to wear it around his neck, though it wasn't recognized as a necklace by the system. As they spoke, Miranda couldn't avoid noticing the other people also appearing all around them. She saw quite a few standing on the cliffs above looking down on them, while others jumped down to surround the lodge. She counted more than a hundred. So, you aren't going to run this time, she asked, her gaze still cold. My office still stands. Give me the orb and all of your equipment. The same goes for your comrades, too, of course. At this point, Miranda was tired of being ignored. Excuse me, miss. Well, I don't mean to cut into your family dispute. I would like to point out that you stand on another's land. 
Shut the fuck up, you fucking whore, before I rip your head off, she roared at Miranda entirely out of nowhere, before just as swiftly returning to having the smile she'd had before. I am speaking to my dear cousin here, but not you. Miranda was utterly taken aback, and so was Hank and the others observing from the house, too. Neil's party, on the other hand, didn't appear that phased. She is speaking the truth, though. This land and lodge are owned by someone else, Neil said calmly. They had already discussed earlier to try and drag out time as much as possible. Now that they know it would help anything... Miranda still had a slight hope that the city owner would feel it when so many intruded upon the area. Oh, really? So where is this owner of yours? Abby sneered, clearly not taking him seriously. Just cut the bullshit, or I'll bend all your stuff in a pile on the ground within the next minute. The same goes for your new friends, too. Neil hesitated at this sudden ultimatum. The plan of buying time was not working at all. Miranda was completely unable to string together any semblance of a plan. The other party was far too hostile and unstable to argue with. You just want all of us to strip. And then what? Kristen cut in, clearly annoyed. She was clearly still in pain, even after the wound looked healed on the surface. Cut the curse fixed, it looks like. Dad can be a bit heavy-handed. Abby laughed. And, well, you strip naked, and then, if I feel like it, I will let you live. I am sure that a couple of the guys would be inclined to let you keep your head. Abby, don't joke like that, her father said in a playful tone. Oh, shut up, old man. You can have her. Miranda felt the gazes of several of the men land on her body, but she didn't feel any lecherous intent or lust, just pity. The worst offender was the damned father who'd had his eyes on her from the very beginning. Hank's face turned red in fury, and he barely managed to hold himself back from going on a futile rampage as the man even threw Louise in the lodge a quick look. What the hell happened to you? Neil sighed with genuine sadness in his eyes. A lot of things, cuz, none of which is any of your damn concern. And by the way, Abby raised her hand, the minute is up. An explosion sounded out as the very space in front of Neil and Miranda was torn apart. But just as quickly as it shattered, it was solidified again by Neil, who also raised his hand, a white glow emanating from it. Both were still forced back. However, Miranda could see that Neil was outmatched. The attack also served as an opening shot for all hell to break loose. Levi was the first to move. He was clearly already prepared to go. Acceleration he internally muttered as he sped forward. Imbue blade, fire, imbue armor, wind. His blade was enveloped in an inferno of flames, and his body turned into a tornado as he soared forward. A magic swordsman, one of his own design, with explosive strength unmatched by any other in their group. Simultaneously, as he charged forward, a barrage of arrows was launched at Abby by Eleanor. She simply raised her hand and erected a barrier, but it was just a distraction. It gave Neil enough time to use another skill as Levi was teleported to the top of the cliff amid a group of low-level archers and casters. Kristen also charged forward, her target being the man at Abby's side, the one who had inflicted the cursed wound on her in their last clash, and he happily met her once more as he drew a red scimitar from his scabbard. Glowing veins covered it soon after as he used a skill to make it into a cursed blade. They smashed into each other. It looked like an equal battle at first sight, but it truly wasn't. Kristen was a heavy warrior focused on strength and toughness, 
a hybrid who used not only her physical stats. Silas was forced to support her as the scimitar moved in unpredictable patterns, making her block with her shield repeatedly. Silas tried to assist in healing or redirecting blows whenever possible, but even then it was barely even. Neil and Abby also engaged in a duel that looked like they were just staring at each other. But the space in between them shimmered and cracked, and it was as if reality itself was slowly being shattered. Eleanor had tried to keep assaulting Abby, but soon found herself the main target of the hundreds of people surrounding them. They all avoided the two other big battles as they headed for her, forcing her to run away. Hank suffered the same fate as he tried to keep enemies off him. His level was at the high end for sure. Some of the attackers weren't even twenty-five yet, but the sheer number made him unable to fight back properly, and the wounds on his body kept getting more numerous. It took only a few minutes for the result of their skirmish to be made clear. Kristen took a nasty cut to her cheek and screamed in pain. Silas tried to help, but had also found himself the victim of the many attackers. Neil bled from his orifices as he still struggled to keep Abby in check. In turn, she looked relatively relaxed, enjoying the carnage around her. In her eyes, the result of the battle had been clear from the beginning. The only ones who had managed to damage her camp were Eleanor, Hank, and Levi. Hank and Eleanor were mainly in the process of defending themselves. Levi was the only one who had done any real damage, having killed nearly a dozen people before his many enhancements ran out of power, and he also found himself overwhelmed. Retreat into the lodge, Miranda yelled, as she dodged a fireball flying her way. None of the fighters hesitated to do as she said. As planned, everyone besides Levi was right outside the protective formation. Levi, hearing the call to retreat, activated acceleration once more and sped up significantly, practically flying towards the lodge. Abby saw this attempt to retreat and raised both hands towards the fleeing swordsman. Oh, no, you don't. Neil did the same as he tried to help his comrade. All Miranda saw next was everything looking... skewed. Space itself shifted as if two planes of existence tried to overlap with Levi right in the middle. The next thing she felt was her face being covered in liquid as space returned to normal once more. The lower half of a human still remained where Levi had been just moments prior. Go on! Turning almost in slow motion, she saw Levi's upper body on the steps of the lodge. His entrails dragged on the ground. Chapter 11 Incoming Everything was buzzing as she acted almost on instinct. A transparent barrier instantly covered the entire lodge, followed by another bubble overlapping with hers only moments later. Silas charged forward with his healing already on full display to keep Levi alive. Hank quickly came over to the screaming man and forced a healing potion down his throat, flooding his body with vital energy. Well done, Neil, Abby said, as she walked up to the barrier separating them. I wanted to rip him apart from mouth to asshole. Nice tilting of the axis there at the end. The calmness in her voice stood out, as she didn't appear phased at the barrier's appearance at all. But as she examined it closer, she noticed something a bit off. One space and another a pure manner. Great, good job wasting my time more than necessary, she said with a bit of annoyance. She used some skill to detect the two barriers blocking her from getting to her desired orb, and while the one of space manner was probably manageable, 
Miranda was sure the one of mana was quite a bit trickier. On the inside of the barrier, the outlook for their situation was far from favorable. Avi had clearly hoped for a second that the magic swordsman would die, and was surprised to see his wounds close instantly. It was a bit eerie to see the entrails on the steps slowly retract themselves as new skin covered the lower half of his body, making him look like a bilateral amputee. That was, until small bumps slowly began growing out beneath him, clearly indicating the regrowth of his entire lower body. Avi just stared at it in fascination at the gore, completely unbothered, if a bit interested in the healing process. Miranda saw her frown, as Abby had also no doubt noticed the sound isolation from the mana barrier, as Levi's screaming was not subtle. They could still hear everything outside, of course. They dragged Levi into the lodge, and all quickly collapsed on the ground. Only Miranda was staying outside, keeping an eye on Abby and her army of invaders. An army that was quickly reorganizing. After the failed attempt to kill Levi, they didn't have any clear plan of action. Hundreds of people just stood looking questioningly at Avi and her father. The bearded man began yelling out instructions, and it went more or less as they had anticipated. Everyone backed off, Avi included, as ranged attacks started winding up. Soon after, a barrage of spells, arrows, and other attacks hit the barrier. This was where the two barriers' power became apparent, as every single attack was repelled, not leaving a single sign of damage on either. The two barriers were complementing each other just as much as Miranda and Neil had anticipated. The barrier of mana made by Miranda blocked the magical attacks flawlessly. It could even take in a portion of the atmospheric mana to keep itself healthy for longer. And as the attackers were all relatively unskilled, they released a lot of extra mana into the air for the barrier to absorb. Then there was the space barrier, which similarly blocked all physical attacks without any issue. It was an nearly impenetrable defense. Based on the furious look on Abby's face, it even quickly became apparent that she was unable to break the space barrier. There was one problem, however. Time. The many attackers outside didn't damage the barriers, but they were slowly whittling them down. It would disappear on its own after some time, but it wouldn't last more than a day or so based on the current rate of attacks. Inside the cabin, the atmosphere was also more than a little bleak. I thought she said you could keep her busy for a while, Hank said to Neil, as he also drank a healing potion. I thought I could, but she has gotten even stronger since we last met. At the end of the tutorial she was only a bit stronger than me. If she had been this strong back then, we would have never escaped in the first place. Damn it! He cradled his head as blood dripped under the floor from his eyes and nose. Hank just sighed and sat down on the floor, thinking it a bit of a shame that they were spilling blood all over the newly constructed lodge. A whimsical thought, considering that more blood would likely soon flow within. Second those shields go down. Everyone looked listlessly at the ground, only the two healers doing much of anything. Neil especially looked utterly lost. I... I'm sorry, he cried. I got you all into this mess. If only I hadn't... Oh, shut up. Kristen scoffed. We chose to stick by you, so don't go all pity-party on us. You forced us into this, Hank shot back. We didn't need this shit. Kristen, despite her usually quippy mouth, didn't have any response to that. They had dragged Miranda and the family of three into it against their will. On the steps outside the lodge, Miranda sat and stared at the ground, deep in thought. 
All of them stared back at her, too, as the others were hidden from sight within the lodge, making her the center of attention. May I ask your name? she heard. She looked up to see the bearded man, Abby's father. Miranda just shook her head, as she didn't care much for the man's words. Smiling lightly, he said, I believe this entire thing can be rectified. My daughter is a bit wild, I confess, but she's not the monster you have in your mind. Neil is the reason she is like this. Once he is gone, things will get better. Miranda once more just shook her head, but couldn't help but look back towards Neil. You see, Neil has always been the wonder boy of the family, perfect in nearly everything. This took quite a toll on Abby. She finally came to believe she was his equal, only to lose in that final, unfair test. It broke a small part of her to lose once more like that. We are only seeking to set things right here. So please, excuse her crude words. As I said, she usually isn't like this. And I can promise you that if you choose to join us, you and your comrades will be safe. I am Donald, by the way, widower even before the system. Miranda didn't much care for his name, but wondered why the hell he'd bothered to include being a widower. Seemed like absolutely useless information to her. Seeing her remain silent, Donald kept talking. Please don't waste your life on protecting someone you have only known for a few days. I swear that you can find a place with me. Find safety. You have seen what my daughter can do. I doubt she can find any equal among humanity in this world. She was a bit taken aback at his words more than anything. The wording was just off, and she couldn't help but look up at him with confusion. His smile deepened as he looked down on her. She once more felt the disgusting sensation of his gaze going all over her body. I believe that you would be pleasant company, that we could both find some happiness in this new world. Together. At this point, warning bells would have gone off for anyone, no matter how oblivious. To call the vibe the man was giving off creepy would be an understatement. As she was still thinking about what to say, her facial expression had clearly revealed her thoughts. The look of absolute disdain and disgust showed only a moment, but it was enough for the man to notice. I am offering you a good thing here, he said, a bit colder than before. Don't throw it away for silly reasons. Miranda made a faux look of apology, and that seemed to be enough for the man to do a complete 180. No problem at all, he said, practically beaming. As long as you serve me well, all will work out. I am sure the heart shall follow. He isn't even trying to hide it anymore, she thought, attempting to hide her disgust as much as she could. Where the hell did he get this confidence from? Oh, right, the threat of being able to have her killed at any point. Landed yourself another whore, Addie asked, walking over. Her voice was around a tenth as disdainful as the thoughts Miranda held for her father. Language, Donald said, with a tone so bogusly stern it was insulting. Miranda found it more noteworthy that he only saw the words themselves and not the insinuation of the words as the bad part. She stood up and went into the lodge as Avi yelled behind her to take down the damn barrier, but ignored it. Once inside, she looked at the people there. Louise had poured all her mana into the mana barrier. Neil was just staring into the ground. Can we try to make a run for it? Eleanor finally asked, breaking the silence. How far will we get? Kristen sneered. 
and if you haven't noticed, we aren't exactly in a state to run, one of us even less than the others. She appeared instantly remorseful for getting mad at her friend. Sorry, I just... I know. Eleanor smiled sadly. Kristen, Silas, and Eleanor, Neil said, looking up. Try to escape. Take Miranda, Hank, Louise, and Mark with you. I will stay here and attempt to keep them occupied. I may be able to buy a few minutes if... Ah, fuck it, Miranda finally said, disrupting the sad atmosphere. We all agree that getting killed by that bitch Abby and her creep of a father is the worst, right? Well, yeah, but, Kristen said, confused. Great, all in agreement? Then I'm going to do something idiotic. What? Hank asked, confused. I am taking a gamble. Chances are, even if it works, we will die anyway. I'm going to do something that will very likely anger the owner. Not sure what his response will be, but I doubt getting killed by him will be worse than what those animals out there want to do with us. You had a chance to call him all alone, Kristen asked, a bit of anger in her voice. And would he even be able to do anything? If you haven't noticed, there is an entire army out there, along with a pissed-off, overpowered space mage. Hell if I know, Miranda said, having already thrown caution to the wind. So let's give it a shot. She opened the menu with her mind and saw the prompt appear, the pylon right beneath them. Initiate the process to claim ownership of pylon of civilization. Requirements to claim ownership? Slay the current city owner or be uncontested in your claim for at least 30 days while maintaining the support of at least 51% of the total population. Warning. City owner will be warned upon initiation of the process. The last sentence was what she'd gambled on. Without hesitating any longer, she initiated the process, and a quest appeared as she expected. Quest received. Contested pylon of civilization. City Lord Miranda Wells has initiated the process to take control of the pylon of civilization. You must retain control of the pylon for the remaining duration, or slay the current city owner. Time remaining, 29 days, 23 hours, 59 minutes, 59 seconds. Quest reward, become city owner of, unnamed. Penalty upon failure, unable to initiate a new process for control for at least 10 years, the city owner may determine additional punishments. Smiling, she felt like a weight had been lifted off her shoulders. She wasn't sure if it was her intuition skill, or perhaps just wishful thinking, but she was pretty sure the owner was on his way. The barrier protecting them would stay up for a while longer. Hopefully long enough. She had been so stupid. Despite the owner's words and the constant warnings from Neil and his party, she had still believed she could solve this situation diplomatically, that she could negotiate and reach a positive outcome for everyone involved. Boy, had she been naive. There was just no negotiating with some people. In retrospect, she should have called the owner back days ago. I just hope it isn't too late, if he takes more than a day. Walking out of the lodge once more, she saw both Abby and Donald standing in pretty much the same place as before. Abby still appeared to study the barriers, while Donald waited patiently, based on his look when she'd exited the lodge, for her. Even before going to the edge of the barrier, she made it so they could hear her. Everyone inside the lodge had already quieted down, all waiting for whatever was to come. I am happy to see that you have come to your senses. You will not regret becoming mine, Donald said, when he saw the smile on Miranda's lips. He had taken it as her surrendering herself. 
He could already feel the heat build up in his stomach as his eyes went over her body. A bit of a waste, he thought. He was going to enjoy her. Enjoy her, and once she was his, end her. Such was his path, after all. Abby allowed him to act as he did because she was already used to it. She was the only one to know that he was not a widower by chance, but by choice. No, she had helped him get rid of her. Half of the insurance money was hers now, wasn't it? Now his determination had carried over to the new world. His path was recognized by the almighty system. His depravity turned to power. Through the death of others he had claimed as his own, he could empower himself further. Dozens of innocents had already fallen victim to his ways. I must apologize, Miranda said with a mocking smile. I already have an owner. Wait, that came out wrong. A boss. Yeah, let's go with that. Her somewhat delirious words made him frown, and even Abby glanced over with interest. I told you, right? This land has an owner, and I just tripped the homeowner's alarm, metaphorically speaking. What the hell are you on about? Abby said, having already forgotten the whole owner talk. She'd taken it as hubris from the very beginning. Just ignore her and get the damn barrier down, Donald said, frowning with disappointment and anger. He turned to Miranda. I tried to be nice, but I guess you like it rough. Miranda just scowled at the creepy guy. His face was becoming uglier by the second. She would have to at least manage to land a punch on his ugly mug before she died. Just as she was considering if a kick would be better, she felt something. Everyone did. A presence washed over the valley. Confusion overtook the invaders as their gazes flickered about, looking for the source. Only Abby looked straight up into the air. Something is coming, she said to herself a hint of worry in her voice for the first time.